Hello. Oh, hey. <laughs> My unmute button didn't work for whatever reason. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, good. A little bit all over the place. Hi, Frank. Hey, Frank. Hello, Serena, Serena. Uh, I'm packing yeah. today. Uh, yeah. Hey, I, go ahead. I, I went back to visit uh, a few talks and uh, amazing, amazing again. You know, I found, uh, you know, without preparation, it's uh, for me, at least, I think it's a waste of a precious opportunity. I'm talking about the, the talks that I attended. Yeah, I, I probably I did a review. I, I may I may share a little uh, more of what I have learned. Uh, oh, good. Hi, Victoria. Hello, everyone. Hello, Serena, Frank, and Katarina. Hi. How are you? I'm great. I'm having dinner. Nice. Yeah, it's been really cold and rainy and dark here all day. Oh, no. I and always, windy, too. I always feel guilty. <laughs> oh, don't. We need the rain. We need the water. How? So I guess it was sunny and warm where you are. Yeah, it, it like you maybe got up to 90 today. Nice pool weather. It is. <laughs> I couldn't resist a little post. Hi, David. Thanks for saying hi. Hi, BA. Hi, Early, Johnny, Kelly. Hi, everyone. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Thanks for saying hi in the chat. Hi, Mona. Hi, Action. Let me add some topics. So we had, we talked about science a little bit. <laughs> We talked about biology. <laughs> a little bit of science this week. And engineering, I would say. There's only three topics. There's only so much I can add, so. Yeah. Cool. We shared. So AI I'm a little bit. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead. You'll probably have stuff that's actually... Oh, no, I was, I was just reading the title, AI Inventing Its Own Culture. I, I saw the link, but I didn't dive in too much, so it'd be fun to talk about. But it, you know, that is a topic that comes up a lot. Yes, right? Uh, I just thought if we have time, we can, we can do it, um, you know, as a little bit, because it's a Saturday room at the same time so we kind of merging two rooms oh dennis you left did i know that I, was I, me i accidentally i was trying to make moderator and then i accidentally moved you to the audience <laughs> i did that i did that last not to dennis just now but i did that in our last room i moved oh no in a so different room last night and it i apologized so yeah i did that too it, oops it <laughs> it's just a stage dive <laughs> Sorry, it happens to me, so. Hi, everybody. Hi, Jamie. So, yeah, I wanted to, is that okay uh, if we make a little bit of an announcement that I thought that would be cool? Uh, Jamie, like, wrote me a bunch of stuff, and I thought it would be 
really cool to actually involve the audience. So is it okay, Jamie, if I announce it a little 100%. bit? 100%. You go for it. Yeah. So Jamie was starting to write these summary articles about what happens in our Science Society Club uh, during the week. And, and he's doing a really great job. And then he kind of said, um, okay, maybe also other people can be, um, you know, we can like text him uh, or back, like in a back channel, write him a message about after room something significant that we thought was important to like keep in mind for later for a recap for writing it down like what fascinated us whatever it is any one of us can think of and then he would add it there as a quote and and put the name there and then i thought maybe it would be also really interesting for the audience for people that are here coming to the guest speaker rooms if they have some thoughts about this research the scientists something in the room they that they think was important like everyone here all of our members and then if it's um you know something appropriate <laughs> like not like <laughs> something inappropriate but if it's you know actually related to the room and the topic and so on uh we could because we are thinking about on our website um to make a blog post also so let me pull up our website there we have the archives and then we would like to put these as articles up on our um, website and uh, we could have then the comments also mentioned in the article and then we would mention people from the audience also as contributors uh, to this article so if that is something you know whenever you think there's something very significant that you noticed and maybe you know it's a very unique perspective we all have very unique perspectives of things um then we could you know mention it um so i think it would be really cool w what does everyone think like feel free to comment in the yeah to comment or you know do like maybe our moderators what what do you guys think then it would be like sharing a lot of perspectives about our so we would have a, a blog post of the summary and with including contributions from audiences members well, that want to contribute or well yeah, I think, yeah oh, sorry. oh, oh go ahead sorry. Um, uh, no, I, I was going to say, so, you know how you saw this, the summary already, Serena? Um, so I was thinking, like, if, you know, we're watching, remember the one about the molecules, for instance, right? And if uh, one that you found particularly fascinating for very chemi chemistry reasons, right, just one thing or two, um, that you thought this could be great, because see, I can't write with the chemistry expertise that you do. So my summary notes would only ever be just, like, you know, my observations. But if you actually say, oh, this means great things for this chemical, blah, 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 you put it in there and it becomes one of the things. Because, of course, if I get a um, note from every single one of you, at the very, very least, we've got three notes. Um, if no, the room's bigger, the mods and everything are bigger. There's like five, six, seven, 
summary. That, that's a lot of summary notes, but each person's got their own flavour. Serena, you've got your own perspective. Katarina, Victoria, Denny's, we've all got your own perspectives. And that actually allows for a lot more flavouring in our little summaries, you know? And then bring it to the audience. If they were there at the time, they had their own ideas or their comments, or if they even offered a constructive suggestion that the speaker really liked, that could actually go in the review. And it could be the blog post and it can be brought up here in the summaries. You understand? You know what I mean? Yeah, that sounds. Yeah. Okay, Serena, go ahead. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was just going to say, because Frank was just saying a little while ago, he went back and, and tended some of the rooms and did some deeper dives. And, you know, it would be nice to have a place to capture that. Yeah. What do you think, Frank? Uh, yeah, I mean, the uh, I definitely uh, second that the uh, during the group meeting, right? So the uh, I read the uh, Jamie uh, uh, the the summary, uh, Jamie, so uh, nicely uh, uh, done. The uh, yeah, I, I found that's uh, definitely fitting for some sort of uh, the format. Uh, Katarina just mentioned the uh, blog, uh, chat, or, or whatever. I I, I can uh, like. Uh, uh, you know, uh, think of what what is the best format, but uh, I think some something along that line on the homepage to yeah. uh, basically magnify the. I mean, uh, again, I earlier I just made the shared the uh, feeling that the uh, the uh, it's great that uh, uh, Karina and the others invited these uh, very uh, for forerunning. Uh, it's almost you know. Fresh hot, right? It's, I mean, the the, the uh, just baked, uh, you know, uh, excellent research. And uh, although, however, you know, on Clubhouse, I mean, uh, us, uh, at least me included, so it's miles away from there to 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 be able to uh, completely comprehend and appreciate. So I think it will be uh, some 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 long term of uh, uh, digestion uh, of the value that it will be, you know, uh, probably give a proper. Uh, tribute to, to their uh, great work and sharing. Yeah, what were you going to say, Victoria? That I, I envision um, perhaps some, if your comments, Serena, or some, you know somebody like who had expertise in the field. I don't know if you were Jamie suggesting that 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 would be worked into the body of your review, or that would be added. But comments, I, I was imagining that comments from the um, get audience members could be in a format that you might see after a YouTube video. So it could be a really nice list of comments. And then maybe, um, you know, I don't know if you had already decided where those comments would be sent so that they could be just curated before they were public. Um, but that could be a way to, you know, um, incorporate all of those. My, my thinking was this, if you saw the document that I've got here um, and you see I've got summary notes and that's what I was making, like all of us would be putting notes in the summary notes, right? That would be for us, that would be, because that's our observations as, um, as the team. And that's where people will get their recaps for. So if Serena happens to have a particularly chemistry type thought or remark that's one of the summary notes that we'll bring up in the summary meeting and victoria if you've got your own unique perspective uh, on any of that you put it in for whatever reason and now after those parts i then had the question uh section when i actually gave a couple of examples of some questions good ones that were asked 
And you know that again, that's all part of the review. Everyone could do that. And then underneath that, that part, it'll be something like uh, audience comments or audience remarks or notable things from the audience under that. That was my general envision that everything is subject for discussion and change if it doesn't seem to be suitable that way. I do have some other ideas that I dropped to Katarina before, but I'll, I won't discuss them here. Katarina, is that cool? Well, we'll discuss them later at a team meeting for like evolution of that. Yeah, yeah, we can. Yeah, we can yeah, yeah. The, the stuff later. But yeah, I want to encourage people that come to our rooms and if they have something they think it's really important to share related to you know, a guest speaker event, um, yeah, please feel free to message us. And um, if we um, put it in the in the summary article, we make sure to to mention your name uh, that you contributed to to this um, end product blog post. So um, yeah, feel free to do so, and you will for sure be mentioned uh, if if you know if we if it gets uh, incorporated in the article. So, yeah, cool. And this is actually the YouTube, because uh, Victoria just mentioned YouTube channel. This is our YouTube channel. It's just the recordings that you find on Clubhouse as um, the same recording just on, the, on YouTube. So um, anyways, okay, shall we start with uh, the um, actually summarizing what we talked about. Uh, so the first room on Monday was um, Dr. O'Neill's room, and let me find now the, there the link again to his presentation. Uh, let me switch the link. So um, he talked about non-coding uh, DNA. Oh, she I'm so sorry. Rachel talked about uh, Dr. Rachel O'Neill. She um, is the director of the Institute of Forest System Genomics um, and of the Center for Genome Innovation and professors for genetics and genomics at Yukon Health. And um, she uh, taught with a, she talked about the project that they've um, they now um, managed to um, decipher the whole genome, including the non-coding uh, DNA of human of a human. And um, she also talked about specifically about human repeat elements. So human repeat elements, especially in the um, in the telomeres. And um, we learned that. Um, I don't know if you know, but um, these elements are um, largely from ancient viral DNA. And it's really hard to decode it because they keep repeating themselves in the genome and um, very repetitive stuff. Um, it's hard to, to, rec like, to um, recognize it, that it's actually repeated again and again and again. So the last 8% were actually quite hard to decode. Um, and um, it's hypothesized, like for the bigger picture here, 
why these are so important, and we discussed this a little bit in later on in the Q&A, um, is that these repeat elements are um, very active, for example, when our organism is really stressed out, like when we are on the, under really high stress, traumatic events or scarcity um, and so on, these repeat elements become very active uh, because the cell and the body has other stuff to do than um, inhibiting them because that's what our cells need to do. They have to keep inhibit the activity of this ancient viral DNA so they cannot do real damage. Um, and they become really active and it also we it's hypothesized that they can also help um, with coping mechanisms. Um, but um, they then in these situations have an opportunity to replicate themselves and make more and more copies of themselves in the DNA. And it's hypothesized that these um, are the underlying mechanisms of uh, epigenetic mechanisms where we pass things like famine and so on to the next generation and then the next generation has long-term um, outcomes like schizophrenia or um, uh, cardiovascular higher risk in some cases depending on the age and what time of development also lower risk so um, yeah we we have a hard time um, decoding them but um, we are very curious what we can learn in the future by um, yeah by um, completely knowing where they are how many of them we have what the coding is and then um, we can maybe find out how vulnerable different people are to different diseases and to different stress factors. So I think it's really important work, uh, but please everyone comment uh, what you thought was really great about this. Well, it was an amazing amount of work that came together and I remember that, um, you know, it was just, it, it was, it was the, you know, introduction to such a, you know, a new opportunity and beginning for all the mining that is about to happen. Um, I was also excited about her, what she described in her follow-on study. Um, but it's just, it's really, um, you know, it's really, really great. And the structure of, the, you know, there was some, not not structure per se, but um, associations with the centriole that were kind of fascinating too, right? That, that these uh, these repeats, um, and I can't quite remember it, but uh, there was some associations with the centriole that I thought was a little fascinating. Absolutely, and um, what I found fascinating about her talk was our initial excitement and she wanted to know how and why were species different. I, I, I love such a general question that digs you into such places. It's like what makes us a human and someone, something else, a chimpanzee or a frog, like what biological mechanisms are, are separating them and what they're common. I, I love that stuff. That's, that just fascinates me. 
it just shows how basic curiosity can just take you so many places. That was one thing I loved about it. Uh, my my impression of doing a uh, review and uh, uh, previous and after is the uh, the t uh, the transposable uh, uh, the uh, repeats the they they somehow they're selfish a very typical uh, archetypical type of uh, selfish genes <laughs> if if that's the uh, I I think that's what I. Uh, to, I found uh, you know uh, interesting because they they have uh, their own strategy and agenda somehow, and also that as uh, uh, Jamie mentioned, the uh, author that the uh, researcher shared uh, some insights on the. It's very interesting to learn that uh, these repeats, uh, uh, you know, the the way they transpose and they uh, somehow is the deciding fa factor of uh, speciation uh, at the you know from from say. Uh, you know, primates and us, and you know, even even higher up to the Luca or something. Yeah. So I I just found that uh, there's some sort of a mapping between these uh, the lens or, or something. You know, this. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, also, the that's where the innovation happens in in terms of mutation. Okay, uh, shall we move on to James' tour? Um, let me post the link. Uh, so, uh, Dr. James' tour is probably one of the most accomplished scientists we had here. Like, uh, I wouldn't say the most, but one of the most. Um, I didn't mention a bunch of things. So he's a professor of chemistry and computer science, material science and nano engineering at Rice University. And his uh, index uh, for impact of his publications is 161, which is totally crazy. He has like over 120,000 um, citations. And he was ranked uh, amongst the top 0.004% of scientists alive. And um, he was named among the 50 most influential scientists in the world today, um, the world's most influential scientific mind by uh, Reuters and Science Watch and um, Scientist of the Year. Uh, top 10 chemists in the world, um, a NASA Space Act Award, and so on. Like, <laughs> it goes on and on. It's like a whole page of awards. And, um, and he was a great speaker, and he talked about his recent publication about using um, plastic waste. Um, and... Um, to uh, use that for CO2 capture. And his numbers were really very impressive, um, how much percent, um, like how uh, efficient uh, this carbon capture was. But before, I think Serena probably, do you want to, because you asked really- uh, Yeah, I mean, it was they were really impressive numbers i mean like really both i was really impressed with the graphene um you know synthesis as well 
and um, they're in the process of scaling that up. It, you know, they he, he claims you know effectively a hundred percent, so you know ninety nine whatever, but um, you know, and that's because they, they're essentially arcing it, and you know everything else that would be an impurity was just driven off in the process, and you know they. The only thing left to thermodynamically is the formation of graphene. Um, so they had a very high yield and a, just a very straightforward procedure that they're now in the process of scaling up. And they described some uh, piston-like scale-up because you know when the graphene forms, it it um, it's not not precipitates, but it films out on the plates and then it has to be removed. So there's this piston remove, um, arc remove, arc remove cycle that uh, produces the graphene. It'll be interesting how well it continues to scale up, but uh, he's formed the company that is just uh, going to crank this stuff out. Um, and he talks about applications of including it in cement and uh, so much as I believe 35 percent in cement. Um, that would be a big help um, in other types of material applications. And then he, he went into a second application where in the presence of potassium acetate, he can form this sorbent that will capture a certain level of CO2 and then they can remove it. So it's still, again, it's a capture, remove, capture, remove cycle. And, um, you know, the the details and the difficulty of scaling, um, you know, they're, they're started down that road. So we'll, we'll see how, how well that scales up. But uh, very fascinating chemistry and um, really impressive numbers so hopefully it will continue to scale but but we'll uh, we'll have to see how well it does yeah I was impressed with um, the fact that the energy producers were already on board I do worry that they're on board and then they'll just take it and stick it in a drawer somewhere because it is so much more efficient than the stuff that already exists but, uh, yeah, that is kind of kind of their mo um, historically. Right, <laughs> exactly. But they did. Uh, he did counter that um, by saying that some of the major oil companies were investing and interested, and in, um, as though this was their entry into the hydrogen economy. Um, that is, yeah, I remember that. You're right. You know, that sounds like a really nice pickup line. We'll, <laughs> we'll see if, uh, you know, if they don't, if he doesn't, you know, if it doesn't get bought out and buried, um, like they've done with so many other technologies that, you know, they'll wait, wait till it gets to a mid-sized company and, you know, okay, these, let's take care of these folks. And then they just disappear. But, um, yeah, yeah, that's a big concern. Hopefully, hopefully it'll, um, and right now it's private. And, you know, when I asked, you know, like when, when, when does the public get to get in on it? He, uh, didn't seem to have a timeline on that. So maybe, maybe that'll change in the future. I'm sure plenty of people will be interested in being part of that. Yeah. I, I also, uh, uh remember this, uh, uh uh, Professor Tour is uh, sharing very, uh, uh, very impressive talk. And uh, the as uh, uh, just mentioned, the their technology is actually 
in probably is in and I mean uh, patterned or so 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 that's why I didn't uh, venture to ask <laughs> the detail of uh, how, how the uh, next stage of uh, uh, scaling up uh, what what kind of uh, you know I thought that's probably uh, priority right so uh, the if you uh, 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 I mean for the audience uh, actually so for me so far the my impression is that the guests that are grace us on our platform the uh, some of them are uh, well I can see a uh, uh, each is unique but as, uh, uh, for me some very deep and up uh, uh, from running in the uh, research uh, uh, very detailed research uh, sometimes you know uh, very hard to, to grab but uh, some are uh, you know making huge impacts and uh, very uh, promising in uh, converting uh, research to uh, uh, productivity. I mean, for this particular one, uh, I paid uh, more attention to, uh, to the first half of his talk. Is the three D uh, is the graphene uh, on the, by by flash by uh, uh, kind of uh, he call, he named it flash graphene. I'm very impressed by you know the uh, but I I would li love to uh, understand more of the how how they can achieve such a high uh, yield rates that uh, I think he said 100% but uh, yeah that's probably you know different counting uh, scheme uh, essentially is taking waste of plastic anything carbon and just uh, burn it uh, with a flash uh, and then uh, in their um, uh, scaling up effort, uh, uh, he shared the team uh, work on the uh, the first stage of uh, uh, prototyping using a 3D printer. Printer, I think they somehow take apart the 3D printer using the convey conveying belt. Just 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 reading, interpreting from the the, the data he shared. The uh, there there has as Sarin mentioned there they have this tube and the, there's a conveyor a convey automatic kind of a supplying the, the the material and then uh, the timing of the flash is uh, uh, is such that you know they uh, allow them to do the uh, I think their goal is a ton or a few tons uh, per day that's that's just a very ambitious I, I but no I to me that's very impressive the uh, potentials yeah uh, if that's uh, possible I mean the I mean there was a question from uh, Dr. Shah, I think, uh, asking him on the electronic level of uh, graphene. And uh, I think James uh, just uh, uh, very di directly uh, draw the a distinction between there. Uh, it's, uh, it's more of industrial level applications uh, other than the electronic, which is probably require uh, more uh, larger area of uh, graphene and uh, maybe a uh, single layer even i don't know but uh, for, for for this process it's uh, the product the end product is very good for uh, bulk use like uh, concrete uh, enhancement they show figure of uh, uh, mechanics uh, experiments on the uh, tensile and uh, uh, on the compression enhancement in, in their in their mechanics uh, experiments yeah, we, which is not surprising given that graphene is such a wonderful, promising materials. Yeah, so again, this is a, a, another very loaded uh, 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 
a lot of materials presented in a very short amount of time. And uh, yeah, so it's great uh, we we had him. Yeah. And can I just also just throw in um, a Science Society shout out to Dr. Boehm, who actually James Tour, Dr. Tour, had mentioned was actually the first person to discover graphene, but he wasn't properly acknowledged in the scientific community at the time. And uh, I think that's something that just needs to get a decent shout out because uh, he began a great many of the procedures and discovered a lot of the stuff that that the Dr. True was actually working on and he did give the person a shout out. So I think we want to echo that out. So shout out to him. Yeah, that was a good point. The Nobel Prizes were awarded to, you know, um, not the original inventor. And that was, it came to light later. So it is good to acknowledge uh, Dr. Bohm. I can, so, so part of part of how he's getting those impressive yields are the uh, the the arc conditions. It's for only a few hundred milliseconds, and you can sort of control how big the sheets are by the time. But the temperature gets to about three thousand Celsius, and that that drives the other impurities off. the The nitrogen is uh, in the oxygens. They don't form these polymeric sheets, but the graphene is sta still stable at that at that temperature and so he's he's you know found the right conditions where graphene is about the only thing that can survive and it just everything else is driven off um, but it does come out as a film that has to be removed and then you know re-arced but yeah it was really just really fascinating work um, not good for electronics i pushed them on that a little little more because um, it is it's just such a a blunt procedure. It, it doesn't really allow for subtle modifications. Although he did say that he got some results with boron and and some phosphines, and um, so doping the graphene. Um, you know, I asked him about any kind of diode or transistor application. He hasn't really looked at it much, but he was successfully able to dope the graphene, which is kind of really cool. Uh, so. We'll probably see many more advances from this stuff. Just um, I would, I would hope, but uh, I can see how he's getting those yields. Yeah, that's going to scale up quickly because we need those sorts of solutions. Yesterday. Go ahead, Frank. Yeah, I was inviting. I also loved hearing about how graphite could be put in concrete to make it stronger. Oh, oh, sorry, Frank, go for it. No, I just okay. No, go go ahead, Jimmy. I was uh, just uh, inviting uh, Johnny up and uh, yeah, see. Um, I I'm actually wanted to comment that uh, uh, I hope you know more audience uh, and uh, who participate or later on uh, listen to the uh, replay, and uh, you're we're welcome to. I mean, I think you know, join our review session and uh, even, you know, uh, uh, share what you think and teach us, you know, what at least, you know, what we missed out and uh, our error, you know, in the, I mean, this, uh, the speaker, the material that they present is great. I mean, just uh, Serena mentioned the, uh, it reminds me the, um, uh, uh, James actually uh, mentioned that uh, in the uh, future that they, 
they are actually probably right now uh, in the process of adding AI controls to the to the uh, the setup, the 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 the, the scaling up uh, setup that uh, where they uh, will add heater, uh, 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 you know, different uh, atoms to uh, uh, boron, for example, uh, to their tube. Yeah, that's just a. Uh, I think that's probably a very promising uh, uh, route. Johnny, did you have comments on this this talk? Um, I didn't see the talk, but I was just um, interested about the the doping graphene. I mean, um, what kind of uh, properties were obtained uh, by by doping it? Because usually you kind of you dope a semiconductor to increase its conductivity, but um, I think graphene already conducts. So I mean, is that to just uh, modify some property of um, electron transport in the material, or yeah, it, he threw that out as a teaser, like yeah, we can do this, but um, like he didn't, you know. If I I asked him if he saw diode behavior in the boron and phosphine uh, doping, and um, he I guess he wasn't really ready to mention the results, but um, we might see a paper <laughs> come out soon. Uh, but yeah, that was certainly interesting. Yeah, um, I mean, graphene uh, d uh, definitely um, has a lot of potential, um, and uh, um, people have been uh, uh, looking at it for technological applications for um, almost two decades now, um, since it was first uh, synthesized, uh, or that since they first found a way to effectively synthesize it. But that still remains the the problem: uh, getting it cheaply and getting it um, kind of free of defects, so producing like large amounts of uh, uh, kind of the, the pure graphene hexagonal structure. Um, and the other thing is, yeah, semiconducting properties. Um, it's uh, um, so far been very difficult to construct any devices like a transistor with it. But I think people are looking at like um, some other uh, uh, 2D materials and uh, layering them up. Um, so like there's this uh, uh, current buzzword uh, transition metal dichalcogenides um, oh yeah yeah which... we had we i think we had a talk on those too earlier in the previous week but you know that was his big breakthrough was the um the cost he claims he can do graphene this method at about 25 dollars a ton and current retail rates are about fifty thousand to sixty thousand a ton so, you know, he even, you know, made the bold sort of half joke to, you know, short those companies. Because <laughs> um, this method is just so cheap. Um, yeah, we'll see. You know, we should expect a, a very different graphene market if those claims are real soon. Right. And uh, he also mentioned what I, I loved was... Um, the, the graphite, loads of things could be turned into graphite and then they could be used to make other things, which when other things were used and broken, um, they could be turned back into graphite again and turned into something else. And he mentioned every time it was doing this, it wasn't even recycling, it was, he called it upcycling, because every time he does this, every time it's turned into graphite, it's taken a bit more CO2 out of everything and it's cheap and it's easy to do and so, replacing products becomes cheaper and just just a like a cycle 
but an upwards one rather than a downwards one. That was incredible, really, really incredible. Well, it's true that, um, I mean, it's because you're raising it to that 3000 degrees Celsius, you know, everything just else just gets driven off. And so you have a very pure graphene and, um, you know, that uh, it does prevent um, that carbon from going off as CO2. And so it does effectively capture and sequester that carbon because graph graphene is very stable on uh, long time scales and putting it in concrete and, you know, that that's an effective sequester. So it does we start have to rebuild Oh, sorry, I'm just going to say we start to rebuild and remake our civilization based on the pollution that, you know, we had previously made. Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> sorry, carry on. Okay, are we ready for the next one, or do you, did you want to say something more? No, I think we're good. We can go. Great. Um, so next was um, Dr. Morrissey. He had that early, like, um, morning um, room here. Um, he is a professor of vascular medicine and cell and development biology, director of the Penn Center for pulmonary biology. So he's an MD, PhD. And um, yeah, he his work was um, really amazing. So um, basically he discovered a new type of cell in the lungs and um, how they can or could contribute to um, in the future for regeneration and healing lungs and finding ways to detect and even reverse lung disease of COPD, uh, which is the most common one. And it's predicted by the World Health Organization that it will become one of the leading cause of death in the world, which is also uh, uh, because of higher rates of pollution in different countries and so on. So COPD is a really um, high, uh, contributes to a high um, mortality around the world. So um, lungs in general are re pretty regenerative organs. They in general regenerate pretty well. And a cool fact was that he mentioned that the surface area of the lung including with all the little bronchi um, that kind of branch out and branch out more and more um, is the same surface of a tennis court and um, the the he found special uh, secretory cells uh, that um, lubricate the lung and keep the airways open and um, the alveolar uh, type 2 cells lowers the surface tension in the lung um, and they also have the ability to make more of themselves and um, uh, when damaged um, to turn themselves into alveolar uh, type 1 cells and um, they cover the type 1 cells cover 90% of the surface area and are critical for gas exchange and um, yeah, and you can really see here um, how they did a really thorough um, uh, 
research that previously wasn't really possible because we didn't have the right technologies uh, to recognize or distinguish these different cell types in the lungs and um, which was by itself quite impressive work um, and um, yeah in the future um, we will probably see because they have such a um, they have such an ability to um, become uh, to regenerate the lungs um, that they will most likely you know contribute to developing methods to um, to heal the lungs in people that you know have lost that ability due to pollution smoking or other stress factors um, yeah it's a really great break like really breakthrough for people that have chronic uh, lung um, disorders and um, yeah and because these cells are so important for um, gas exchange um, it it will be it, it will it's really promising in the future what we will be able to do with this gained knowledge so for now it's basically characterization of these cells and see uh, what um, the gene expression patterns are and um, that um, that they have these gen regenerative characteristics and now next is to basically see how they are affected when um, uh, when different stress factors come along such as smoking pollution cancer and so on um, yeah um, I think Jamie you were here um, but not you know the whole crew was here so um, Jamie do you have Anything to add for now? Uh, no, just that this was absolutely uh, fascinating what he was covering and he was talking to us about um, discovering a new cell. And I remember asking, um, why did we not know about this before? And it really came down to um, advances in technology, which was exciting and scary in the fact that there's parts of our body that we still haven't detected yet and that all that we need is just finer instruments. So. We're, we're still working with, we're, we're possibly working with still an incomplete jigsaw at the moment, but every single day we find a new piece. Um, that was really exciting. Um, and the guy uh, and the doctor was talking about how there's um, uh, still a lot more to discover, but um, the whole idea of communication amongst the cells was such an important thing. Like the lungs could potentially regenerate really really well I always thought that was awesome I thought of a Wolverine kind of scenario <laughs> um, but it's just the problem is they weren't getting the signals to each other properly at least that's what the initial idea is looking at um, and so he's got a lot of hope that in the very near future or in the very future there's going to be some regenerative options perhaps um, but with uh, a lot more find out it's, a, it's an exciting time for this field oh and for anybody else listening he did actually give a call out to anyone who was interested in like lung science or anything like that he said it's like a very very narrow narrow field and it needs all the help it can get so anybody thinking of a career where they know that there's a lot that can still be done and discovered give that a really 
big thought and listen to the replay. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, they have nothing more to add. Let's move on to the next talk we had with uh, Dr. Uh, Brad McGuire. He um, is a researcher at MIT. And uh, let me pull up the link. Uh, it was the space room, <laughs> which was a lot of fun. I think he was a, a really fun guest speaker to have here. And he was awesome. He was really nice. They were all really nice, but he was also like incredibly nice. He's one of the, uh, yeah, he... the, the best uh, type of photographer. Uh, By the way, uh, Dr. Chung, is, is Dr. before uh, Dr. McGuire? Dr. Chen, um, let me check the schedule again. Uh, no, uh, he requires first, and then Dr. Chang. I don't, I don't know which room you. I think it was last week. No, the room you mean was a Saturday. The molecular orbit, something, something. That one. Oh, that was on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, we 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 covered we, we... that. Comes out on the Monday summary, yeah. Mm -hmm. I see. This one was really cool in that um, there's just so many of these really, you know, it's interesting about these uh, polyaromatic hydrocarbons. Um, the hydrogen's just on the, the edge. If, you know, if these extend, you, you end up with graphene uh, in many cases. Um, so it was, it's interesting that we just find these things in space. And, um, you know, they're, it, it's another statement about how stable they are, that they'll just form under those conditions. But in some sense, they can form in the warm parts of stars, but there's, there's other mechanisms out there that, um, that the, you know, they can just form in these really cold conditions. Um, but we just, we keep finding them. And in some cases, we find them by their rotational spectra. So that was, that was actually a cool twist. Um, they're going to get some early data out of the, the James Webb Space Telescope, but that's going to be in the infrared region. And um, I was going to ask him a little more about that, but I didn't get a chance. But um, that'll be some interesting, I mean, they'll have to revise their methodology for detecting them, but it'll be, uh, you know, so much more sensitive. So we may find even more. But the, it, it was fascinating to see that there's just so many of these molecules that uh, we wouldn't expect to see in space, but they form in space just fine. And so that was really cool. And when he mentioned that 90% of the molecules were detected on the rotation, not their vibration, the fact that even both of those things are what we're using to detect molecules in space kind of blew my mind. It's like, they have to move or spin or, or vibrate or something for us to even tell they're there. That is so, so wild. <laughs> yeah, so well, yeah. just, should we, should we first give like a summary? We are diving right, I mean, for people that weren't here, what the, what the science is about. Oh, big of like, um, so, yeah, the, so what this group of, which is a quite big group of scientists, mm, they discovered really vast uh, 
previously unknown uh, reservoir of new aromatic materials in cold dark molecular cloud by detecting individual polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbon molecules in the interstellar medium and um, done for the first time and um, this will like the bigger picture of this is um, answering how and where this molecules formed in space um, and um, this could give us hin insight on um, basically how yeah as I said how are these molecules formed and how are even stars formed um, so it's kind of the birthplace if you want to see it that way your birthplace of stars um, so yeah I just wanted to give like a very short overview and then um, the project um, named like they named the project Gotham or Green Bank Telescope uh, GBT observations and um, for hunting aromatic molecules and they as I said they were found in cold dark clouds where stars haven't even formed yet, but um, these molecules have formed already, so they are probably part of the birthing of stars. So I thought that was very pretty. Yeah, the stellar uh -huh. nurseries. His his uh, his presentation was very well told. It was a fantastic overview of the field of astrochemistry and the visual presentation the slide deck was was equally impressive he could have saved he can save any uh any astronomy 101 person about a month's worth of lecture materials if you just go listen to his presentation it was really great and uh stellar nursery is one of my favorite words and he used it quite a couple times I, I highly recommend that for any space enthusiast go back and listen to that one it was really good yeah I, I wanted to say I mean uh, Tennessee said exactly that thing that I want I found I'm uh, sorry fascinating <laughs> that, that, yeah I mean uh, Brad is is the type of a uh, uh, scientist uh, very uh, friendly to the uh, uh, the general public I mean, in, in terms of, uh, I actually did, did a little Google. Uh, he is very, uh, he has a, a large presence on, on the internet and sharing the material and preparing for the material. I remember he shared a website, right? So that's where we can download uh, the, 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 PD, uh, the PPT. Uh, so, it's, so yeah, so if you go to the replay and uh, Brad share a link where you can direct uh, and with transcript, by the way, where you know he put uh, 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 not only the slides and also the you know the words that he he, he and <laughs> a transcription basically uh, so that's uh, into, to that's how you know he uh, invests energy in disseminating uh, his, his uh, work but uh, I think this is uh, a uh, quite a tip I mean uh, the type of I would call uh, uh, a scientist uh, at heart it's uh, almost like a child right so looking uh, gazing at the stars so the uh, his talk is uh, i mean the slides are so wonderfully prepared it's, it's i recognize a batman kind of <laughs> kind of a, 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 a what a cartoon or, or, or icon uh you know in the uh, uh 
uh, yeah, like uh, like Karina Karina mentioned that uh, the the they uh, take signals, uh, infrared signals, because uh, other uh, band uh, can, uh, will be blocked by the uh, Earth uh, atmosphere. So only uh, that particular I mean, uh, narrow band of uh, they call D band or, or something C band or D band. I forgot. Yeah. So the I mean with that K band can... K band. Okay, K band. Okay, thank you. And then uh, from the TMC Taurus molecular cloud, uh, they are able to. Uh, I think that they 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 are they are one of the first to uh, uh, see. Uh, among the you know two two hundred something molecules so far, uh, he mentioned there's a, almost an exponential growth of you know the number of molecules that we are able to detect to discover from the space. I think it's two thousand one or two thousand ten. I forgot two thousand one maybe. That's the time the uh, uh, the benzene molecule is uh, first detected, which is challenging because uh, benzene is a very uh, symmetrical. Has a high, uh, you know, it's a low or high, whatever. So it's it's a very, um, in terms of a symmetry, it's a, it's a, it's high. It's 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 a there isn't a asymmetry, right? So it's the six. It's, so that's hard to detect that uh, using infrared because you have you don't have a. Um, There's nothing for it to bounce off of. Yeah. Right, right, right. So in order to uh, so then their their strategy is to observe something. Uh, say a compound uh, of benzene. Uh, say in this their case is benzene uh, nitrile, uh, uh, nitrile probably. Yeah. So with, with a with a nitrogen uh, atom attached to it, and then uh, so I I forgot I didn't get a chance to ask the question how 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 strong this signal. So it's just amazing, you know, amazing that they you know, cross the space so many light years. So we we. <laughs> That uh, can be proved uh, in existence. It's all the uh, various form of carbon. Also, on the in one of his slides at the beginning, if you are able to get to, I mean, for for for, for other friends, are curious. Uh, there's a slide uh, listing all the uh, two hundred. It's in front of me, so that I can just read the figure. There's two hundred and forty-seven molecules. Uh, last update is uh, September uh, last year. Uh, among them, so a curious one that I got me curious. I asked the question: Is the uh, uh, Ben um, the buckyball, the the, the fullerene six sixty? It's actually uh, uh, quite a different species uh, for uh, uh, infrared because it's it's very hard to to detect uh, in using infrared. It's actually using Hubble telescope, uh, just like uh, uh, you know. That's why James uh, uh, JWST will. Well, it's, it's make a lot of dreams uh, come true, right? So <laughs> it's a really promising. You know, uh, they they are also interested in in their in the infrared uh, band of uh, J JWST uh, for future uh, detection and say on their uh, work P P A H. Yeah. So I'll just uh, skip the uh, you know uh, it's it's a very interesting. And by the way, uh, for 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 to towards the end, I would like to. Uh, chip in on it because I missed the uh, last week's recap. I actually went back uh, uh, to dig up the previous. I thought Dr. Chung's uh, was uh, among this week, but uh, if there's uh, more time, I would definitely would be interested to share some minute <laughs> learnings uh, after that. This did did ask a lot of stupid questions in the session. I apologize. 
uh, yeah, I wanted to add, like, this was made possible, all these discoveries in the last two years they started this was um, because previously we could only see um, bulk signatures of molecules um, and not specific molecules because we um, before um, looked uh, in the infrared um, so we couldn't see which individual molecules made up the mass bulk um, of molecules observed and with this radio astronomy that he's doing now you can instead seeing the large mass uh, and distinguish um, individual molecules and this surprise like previous models um, this like didn't predict such a variety of uh, new molecules so they they are very they were very surprised how many molecules were hiding out basically in this bulk observed data <clears throat> so the, he, i think he said every month they are adding i don't know how many molecules um so yeah it's been basically a completely new new breakthrough that gives us all this um, huge amount of real data that we didn't predict with our models. I think that's really amazing. Um, so yeah, it's quite a breakthrough to use this radio astronomy. It's really cool. Okay, and then we had our Friday room where we had um, Dr. O'Shea Weller. Uh, let me bring up the link that was about um, bees. And let me share the link. This was an amazing room. This is one of those rooms that we um, had to actually read ourselves in from all the questions we were asking. <laughs> Um, we we started off and he was just given this, you're just thinking, oh, bumblebees, okay, this is honeybees, this is going to be nice. Um, but it wasn't just nice, it was absolutely riveting and every single person had like ideas on how to try and tackle the varroa. <laughs> the varroa mites. Doesn't it catch you? It was awesome. It was. So, <clears throat> varroa mites are basically killing the, especially the European uh, bee um uh, species um, or species, but um, yeah, subcategory of bees, um, and they damage the bees um, with cross and and um, they use basically the crossbreeding of bees to become more resistant to different um, chemicals we apply to get rid of them, and um, so they kind of their evolutionary adaptation to the stress factors we introduce um, by using chemicals to fend them off um, they adapt really quickly so um, this um, he is working on different projects with different insects and so on but this is one of his recent publication regarding honeybees or bees and uh, this varroa mites how to fight them off and um, there are um, 
So how this works is that um, they will, um, there are um, these subcategories that are able to fight off these mites. They basically are able to recognize the mites and um, sort out um, the, the, the affected bees, basically. And um, so, and then so, so quarantine, basically, <laughs> do so. And um, so they, they are able to detect the infestation in the colony and, um, and to um, sort out the brood cells that are affected and by that fight off um, these mites. But the European bees, they are apparently really not able to do so. Just a very few strains are able to do so. So the goal is basically, so it's it's a behavior and detection difference um, different bee strains have. And um, the idea is basically to breed them um, so that uh, we would have more of the bee uh, strains that are able to detect this varroa um, mites and sort them out early on and to save basically the bee colony. And he also gave, you know, different advice to if you want to um, have your own bee colony, what to look out for. Um, and yeah, he was very open to all the general bee questions we have and how to basically um, have bees in our backyard, uh, how to, what we should look out for um, and to have them healthy and then also science related stuff and then we ask a lot about what can we do to get rid of these varroa mites, can we use CRISPR and so on and apparently the methods we are using to get rid of Lyme disease for example um, here on Martha's Vineyard and um, here in the US or mosquitoes uh, with CRISPR it doesn't really work well in mites and I found a paper that um, it doesn't because their reproductive system their pro how they reproduce is different they don't need necessarily sexual reproduction and yeah and um, their three throughput in um, using CRISPR is not really good um, so, yeah, it's it's quite a problem, but apparently using the methods of um, just having more of those bee strains that um, have this behavior that they can detect and sort out the affected brood cells is for now the, the best way to go. And that's what he's doing actively and he's working with farmers here in the U.S. and yeah he lets he does large studies with a lot of farmers um in the us and yeah it was really interesting i'm sorry i missed that one i definitely have questions um bees are amazing there's over ten thousand species of them all over the planet they look different there's blue ones in asia it's it's a whole it's a whole thing it's really cool so I'm gonna have I'm definitely gonna go back and listen to the replay. 
Absolutely, Denise. You totally should. It was incredible. And lots and lots of really good questions there as well. Like, um, I actually loved it when he told us that one of the ways they check for how uh, bad uh, an infestation is is they took a sample of the colony and if you put powdered sugar on them, um, it, like, makes the Verona... I wasn't sure if it killed them or it makes them just drop off. But it says that you count the Verona um, nights that drop off and that way you can get a sampling of how bad they're in your 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 colony and then just put the bees back amongst the friends where the bees will tend to like lick lick them off <laughs> the powdered sugar. I absolutely like love these um clever um you know simple ways like that. Um you know so simple solutions that you don't think about, you know, um of using the, the stuff around about us in a very simple way without fancy, fancy um chemical working just get some powder sugar throw it a wee bit of your bee colony boom the varroa drop off i, I just love that okay that's being done <laughs> well it was interesting that um you know he, he yeah he had a, a really nice presentation style and he really you know well we were already kind of went over with bees but the the um you know the focus of of trying to find you know collectively a, a solution to destroy these <laughs> varroa. It's you know usually you know biological warfare against a species is taboo, but you know it's hard to find somebody to sympathize with these mites. And we were all trying to engineer <laughs> genetic approaches to be more effective. <laughs> it was funny. But fascinating, yeah. What do we do about these mites? They're killing our bees. <laughs> they are better at the older loop, aren't they? We <laughs> <laughs> should like have some. I don't know. Do you think AI can come up with something? You know, so if they can up can come up in a few hours with forty thousand reagents that would be more toxic than the most toxic that we know right now. Don't you think they well, can? Well, yeah, I, I got off on a thread about, well, okay, if if one of their um, their features is they they just, you know, they're, they're mostly inbred, these mites, um, you know, could there be introductions of genes that uh, leverage that, that fact and it actually takes the accumulation of these genes so you, you know, you'd, you'd have several generations, but if you'd end up with combinations of these things you'd no longer be viable but there'd be time for those genes to spread you know it's it's just like what do we do about these things we got to do something <laughs> or you know we could maybe just like start making sure that the planet is not overheating and then these organisms <laughs> would be less resilient i mean is it is it the case that this is uh, an organism that's always been a pest to them or is it i mean probably but is it seems to be more of an issue in the last what 20 years or something i because i didn't get the chance to listen to the talk yet well it's probably i'm sure the climate change isn't helping um but there's probably several factors here i think these mites were you know always a pa i don't i don't know what the history of these mites are why is it just a problem now um but it's yeah it's interesting that some of these strains can at least detect them, and if they're detected, they, you know, the the colony can address them. But a lot of the bees, they can't even tell that the mites are crawling all over them. So.
crazy and they must have some sort of bee camouflage or, you know, they can't smell them, they can't see them, they can't figure it out. Yeah, they mentioned, he mentioned that they match the lipid profile of the bees, so they, they, they don't really detect them, but some strains can. Yeah, and crossbreeding them um, actually led to the Pauline um, breed that they were working with, eh? and then they had to crossbreed them with camera bees to try and offset any of the downsides. Because they said that the the bees that can detect the the Verona um Verona sorry I keep getting that wrong <laughs> um they can detect them um they're not as productive at making honey uh, doing their beekeeping but they cross them with another set of bees that are uh, uh, I I like that it's kind of like um you know crossing them to get the the optimum kind yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, that was the week um, for yeah for guest speakers events we had this week. Um, I'm not sure if you want to add something to our guest speakers recapturing summary. Anyone? Yeah, uh, if I may, I would like just uh, add uh, uh, some uh, reflections on Dr. Chen's uh, talk. Uh, the uh, Sherry uh, Li Xue Cheng, the uh, Miller's group. The uh, the title she shared with us uh, 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 with a PhD uh, with a PPT is the accurate and transferable molecular orbital based machine learning. Uh, um, in short, it's MOB ML for molecular modeling. So when she uh, so after going back, I just. Uh, did a more digging and uh, uh, I searched the, uh, the group's leader, uh, Thomas Miller. Uh, quite surprising that, uh, I mean, this is a fascinating field. I'm, I'm very curious. So that's why I was uh, quite uh, somehow taken, you know, while she was presenting, I was uh, kind of gung-ho asked kind of a very detailed questions, wanted more clarifications, like student wanted to, you know, but uh, yeah, but anyway, so, uh, the this uh, uh, apparently this field is uh, I think will have uh, still holds a huge uh, potential and will uh, have a lot of uh, impact in say drug discovery and all the molecular design and uh, learning and material new material uh, design so quantum chemistry so Thomas Miller uh, was a professor at Caltech but I just uh, realized that uh, he recently uh, left Caltech uh, for a startup. Uh, doing exactly the you know uh, the, taking the research to to the field to the to to, to make it a, a, a viable product. Let's just show how productive this uh, area of research is. Is uh, meaning that you spend time in research and soon they will uh, eventually. I mean, uh, will have a good promise in you know getting investment and turning into something uh, more practical and uh, more impactful in. in, in in time-wise, right? So, yeah. And uh, for her uh, presentation, uh, I think it's based on the uh, the group's work as well, which is amazing uh, work, which I only now, I start to get uh, the ABC of it by reading some background material. So the I'll just uh, quickly uh, 
you know, give a summary. So the the the, the unique the novelty is that they use the molecular uh, or, or orbital instead of uh, the traditional the textbook. Uh, atom base, atom atomic uh, orbital base. So uh, particularly interesting is a uh, overview slides, the, the pyramid that the, uh, she showed. Uh, within this field, of course, it's a subfield is always time and accuracy uh, dilemma, uh, you know, duality. So they always want to get the most uh, towards the diagonal, right? Up to towards the di diagonal. But the trade-off is, is what's you know, on the, the reality. Uh, so according to her assessment that uh, there's DFT, of course, and uh, uh, so they uh, were proposing that their, their strategy will uh, have better accuracy, uh, but uh, with a, a higher cost. If I, if I thought, it, it's, it's basically, oh yeah, yeah. So uh, there were basically a, a, a modest goal is the uh, uh, at the cost uh, at a, the the uh, at a higher cost but uh, w w with a m uh, more uh, uh, accuracy. That's that's what they uh, 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 their their you know objectives. It's, it's not like you know they want, they say they can do everything the best, right? So yeah. So the the, the uh, apparently the uh, their strategy. Uh, uh, will be able to get uh, will, will utilize the Gaussian uh, um, mixture model and uh, all that clustering uh, technique uh, in terms of machine learning. So, yeah, it's uh, 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 so yeah. So in terms of uh, 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 unsupervised learning, that's uh, I think for for me that's particularly interesting because I think that's a uh, essentially you're able to. Uh, use just use as a blind tool what they call the black box. You, you just you throw in your your say your your graphics your picture, then out it will give you a nose, uh, 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 eyebrows, and all the parts, right? So that's basically a factorization scheme. So this I would consider more, uh, you know, a, a adding a tool, tools tool to to the tool sets uh, currently available. Yeah, that's. Uh, definitely amazing work. I would just okay, uh, you know, pay more tribute to to what I probably didn't do uh, uh, fairly to 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 the Dr. Chen at the at the, the day. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for, for allowing me to share. And I would just give like to give a shout out to every single speaker that we had. They were all incredible. Um, everybody should um look at the notes that we've put down there that we were going to start. We are going to start sharing from now on, and the replays definitely um go to them. Um, any comments anyone's got, um, any remarks, we'd we'd love to hear them. And uh, shout out to those speakers and. We're going to be excited even more for the next speakers of next week. Katharina, what's about them? Right. Thank you. Oh, you muted there or something. Oh. I was gone for a second. So sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it happened the other day to someone else. I forgot which woman it was. Okay, so we'll have on Monday Dr. Chattery. Um, 
and um, the title is Mechanisms for Long-Term Memory Storage um, Detected. Uh, it's a really great um, paper that uh, will give us more uh, information how we store in ourselves long-term memory. It's a really amazing neuroscience work. Then Dr. Garen will be here talking about the human brain evolution of abstract thoughts. So that will be interesting. And I hope Serena will bring up the astrocytes in that room. I will in both talks. <laughs> perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> and um, then we will have Dr. Mitchinson's curious quantum discovery, a e-heat transfer. It's a quantum physics room about the yeah, new property that was discovered and that will probably help us with um, um, using quantum computing and, and using quantum technology. And we will have Dr. Motri talking about complex oscillatory waves that emerged in brain organoids. Uh, thanks to Serena, she um, asked me to invite the guest speaker and yeah. We will have oh, great. They're, yep. they're coming. Oh, that's great. Yep. <laughs> and then we'll have on Thursday, um, MD, PhD, um, Zuniga. She will talk about Alzheimer's totopies, um, that they depend on RNA surveillance. So this will be really interesting, um, talk about, um, underlying mechanisms and gene expression that, um, contribute to Alzheimer's um, disease. It's a really, really detailed mechanism that was discovered there. And um, I think it's, it's really interesting. And then on Friday, we'll have Dr. Henry and how they developed a thermovoltaic uh, system with a efficacy of 40%, which is really high. So I'm looking forward um, to that too. So will be another amazing week. And um, yeah, please all come as um, I think all of them are really interesting and um, looking forward to another very interesting week ahead. <laughs> looking forward to it. Yeah. Thank you, Katerina and the team. And that's great, great work. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah great lineup. Thanks. It's going to be exciting. Astrocytes. Yay! <laughs> Yay, I'm looking forward to it. That's going to be amazing. Thanks very much for getting all these in line for us, Katharina. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, if you have suggestions on who to invite, or which research would be really interesting, and you always wanted to try to talk with uh, that researcher, your big fan will try, you know, if it's um, in line of what, you know, what we talk about here, which is in general science. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll try, you know, to make it happen. So feel free to, to ask. I think the next date we'll have is sometimes in July, um, mid July till end of June. We are pretty booked out and then we'll have the first two weeks of July. I'm not too available. 
um, but then after we can we can invite guest speakers again. So yeah, if you have people, you're a big fan of a scientist, feel free to ask us and we'll try to invite them. And okay. uh, oh, oh, I was just going to say another great week ahead of us. Oh. Exactly. Do we still want to discuss that AI article? Uh, are we? Uh, I was wondering, are we going to like um like end this review room now and open up a roundtable one? It's kind of in the title uh, today, so I'm I'm not sure if we we go and close and open again. It would it would be cleaner that way, but we can obviously do it whatever way. Yeah. But it's in the title. Yeah, I feel like it's in the title. It's a Saturday. And... Yeah. Yeah. It's a Saturday. Come on, it's weekend. Okay. <laughs> Let's go through it. So AI inventing its own culture. What was there? What, so, what, is, what was your take on this? So this is pretty interesting. So it discusses about what sociologists think about what is going on. So algorithms are influenced, of course, by humans and human culture, because we <laughs> come up with them. But a new study um, showed that humans, of course, also learn from these AI systems and we pass them on to other humans and this then in turn influences then the wider human culture which I think is really interesting one second if somebody else could I need a minute well okay I, I'll, I'll start responding before you but um you know, it's not as though these all these AIs are talking amongst themselves and um, you know this and that. It, sure, it's in sure it's impacting how we you know what information we see and what we to some extent what we think about it, just in terms of you know it being so prevalent. But I, I think the title's a little you know sensational, but. Um, you know, because culture is a loaded term. I mean, are these AIs reproducing and passing, you know, what they learn down to their kids and stuff? I mean, I suppose you could make a case with training and things, but. Um. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. The title has a lot of heavy loaded keywords, so, uh, which, you know, uh, leads to me a very eye catching AI and uh, culture and the social so sociology. That's just a. Uh, those words where I think my life, you know, which I, unfortunately, I now looking back uh, have uh, with a lot of regrets. But anyway, so philosophy and sociology, economics. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm rushing back to you know where I was educated as engineer and scientist. So anyway, well, it's in one sense it's giving AI too much credit because the you know contemporary deep learning approaches, you know they. They don't really generalize very well. They, you know, they've trained to do certain things that we wanted them to do, and and we assign the reward functions, and we decide what's, you know, what's put into production. And 
what's the most influence influential aspect to culture that these things are going to to do they're not really doing that themselves so it, it it's really more of what we're doing to ourselves i would i would argue and vice is very bad uh clickbait <laughs> titles <laughs> I'd be curious to, I haven't read this yet, but I'd be curious if they examined supervised or unsupervised and what the mix was being a sociologist myself. Yeah, it's unfortunate. The titles that would make it the most eye-catching are the ones that are most like almost misleading and that is open to misinterpretation. Um, when it's, it's not like entirely untrue, which is how these things work, right? Like there's not entirely false in the fact that something's you know affecting something in some kind of grander way but that's that's not the same as like advanced civilizations and cultures and stuff that you think about with these things they're, they're not they're not there's not like a little um nano napoleon <laughs> or uh, anything like that passing down his culture to to his um, brethren and stuff like that <laughs> yeah also, yeah Sorry. Just quickly, I also take the line that, uh, you know, AI is a tool that uh, uh, I guess this is a, a kind of what, what do you call this type of uh, so basically hu hu more humanism, I would say. I don't know if that's a proper word for a title, but anyway. Is that anthropomorphism you're talking about, Frank? Can I, can I add an aspect of... Um just to why they came up with you know one line for example is that for uh, the research about AlphaGo to be the human world champion Lee Selden uh, the AlphaGo made moves that were extremely unlikely to be made by human players and were learned by via self-play instead of analyzing human gameplay data um, and um, then later on was was observed was that these moves became then more commonly used among human players suggesting that the hybrid form of social learning between humans and algorithms what not was not only possible but also durable and um they are currently being used also to control workers and citizens in physical workplaces uh, but also to control workers on digital platforms and influence the behavior of individuals who use them. Um, studies of algorithms have pr have previewed the very ease with which these systems can be used to double in phonology and physiognomy. Um, so uh, facial recognition algorithms found that they were ripe with uh, racial bi um, biases, which is another um, topic on um, trustworthiness has been depicted in portraits, but created diagrams indistinguishable from well-known um, and offered universal conclusions from a data set limited to European portraits of wealthy subjects. Uh, which is another way of how AI can interfere with norms, with human norms we have and human culture um, 
in a way that's even more biased than the humans themselves are. Um, and because many of these systems, like let's say with the moves from AlphaGo, they were, um, they would bring them to a success it's more likely that humans actually pick these moves up and use them. So there's this um, preferable transmission um, of these um, behaviors um, instead of using the human behavior uh, because they were more successful basically in winning. Um, so you, can, you could predict that these moves or behaviors are, will be picked up more than actually originally just human um, behavior um, and they will have a higher throughput through um, culture because um, yeah they were shown to be more successful um, yeah and they go on a little bit more about uh, bias and um, biased decision-making despite social learning um, although the team is still optimistic that we will deal with this um, biases in AIs and um, that future research can amend this and um, yeah but this is basically taking a few of those um, yeah, a few of those uh, examples and then extrapolating it into the future um, that highly successful AI generated behaviors will be picked up by humans and then trans, um, you know, transferred to other humans and will, will influence our behavior and if it's like a highly biased type of behavior then that's not necessarily something that we are looking forward to have in our culture, basically. And um, yeah, so that's why they made the title that way, I think. I mean, I agree that there's an awful lot of influence that's being passed on to people and, and certainly children that are growing up in, a, in an environment where um, a lot of what they see online is is you know been placed there by AI algorithms, for example. But the, those, you know, we trained those algorithms, we deployed those algorithms. You know, we're allowing businesses to do that type of influence because they make money. Um, so it's you know it's I would still say it's just it's something that we're doing to ourselves still. Um, but, but yeah, there is, I mean, it is alarming how much influence those tools are exerting on um, the world our children grow up in and the world we live in as well. It's interesting. It's, uh, you know, it's been brought up uh, many times that the, it's uh, a lot of the typical AI biases and it's interesting because of the assumptions and the goals of what's happening and obviously the social impact, as we mentioned to children, especially because they're not little adults. These companies know exactly what they're doing. There were hearings about Facebook. Um, I think it was in the last 12 months 
where they went into great detail about the decisions that are going on at these companies. Something's got to give or we're going to have a lot of people who need a lot of therapy. <laughs> Mark, I, welcome to the stage. I see GPT-3 in your profile. <laughs> yes, the GPT-3 Society is is three members away from 700. What, what do you think about this article? Um, I thought it was a little muddled in its uh, approach, but I think that uh, people are going to borrow moves of all kinds from AI that they see working and uh, it's incumbent upon us to remove bias from AI models in order to uh, enhance the non-biased uh, nature of uh, the social behaviors that humans are going to be learning from AIs. I, I agree it's incumbent on us. I, 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 you know, I agree with your sentiment there. I mean, it's, it's up to us to condition and, and reward appropriately and curate right. and refine. We can, train, we can train the AI system to be non-biased by, by rewarding non-biased actions and uh, extinguishing biased actions. Perhaps we can remove the profit motive. I think that might greatly influence the outcomes. Mm. How, how will we motivate people uh, to engage in business without a profit motive? Uh, well, there are, you know, I'll give you the Jonas Salk example is a, is a prime example of that. Uh, there's a... There's a Peter Hotez that has come out with an open source vaccine for COVID. Profit is not the only thing that matters. I agree completely that profit's not the only thing that matters. I'm trying to, I'm trying to investigate what other uh, 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 systems of reward would work as well or better. I think that's so noble a initiative i i think that's just and, and also i think there's a, definitely something new that we can human better and can, can find by the way mark you mentioned you are uh, three uh, short of uh, 700 oh, is this a, a clubhouse uh, club or no it's a facebook team? it's a facebook group called the gpt3 society and i think you can get there from my clubhouse profile let me check sounds interesting i will you know follow you could be you could be member 698 uh uh oh. if you click on my instagram it's a it's a magical mystery tour if you go open my open my um, um uh, clubhouse profile and then click on my instagram link it'll take you to the um uh, Instagram page of the GPT-3 Society, where there's a link to the GPT-3Society.com. And if you click on that, that takes you to a, a web page of the GPT-3 Society. And then if you click on join the group, you'll be there. You know, um, you know what's interesting, though, about the profit motive? If um, 
you'd think an unbiased approach could in principle maximize profits because it would attempt to persuade everybody more equitably. Right. <laughs> no, I think I think an unbiased unbiased AIs should attract uh, the attention of the market and be rewarded and get better. Perhaps we can, uh, you know, looking at profit motive being a high motivator, perhaps there can be a fine for every child that ends up in therapy as a result of these, in the way that these algorithms are being designed. I don't know. Well, it, well would the therapy conglomerates be profit? I guess they'd be nonprofits. And I guess non, there's a nonprofit sector that works pretty well, but a lot of people in the nonprofit sector do very well for themselves, I think. Uh, Mark, I, uh, first I, I need to, you know, uh, open the account uh, for my IG. I, 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 it's been a long time I've been on IG. I'll, I'll, you, I'll follow through, yeah. You, you can also just go to Facebook and search for the GPT-3 Society. That'll work too. Or, or you could probably just Google the GPT-3 Society, and that would probably give you the link to the Facebook group. It's pretty accessible. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do a search. The uh, on the uh, just, uh, probably closing, you know, of the today's discussion. I mean, uh, I would like to have the, you know, regarding the motives i think uh, i uh, again I, i'm a market pro market uh, 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 person i would consider myself is you know that's uh, in in in, Lee, uh, in the background that are given other uh, uh so i definitely uh, uh in, in uh, uh, support that you know, individual with their uh, uh very uh, individual like um, efforts they should uh, uh, be able to prosper, right? But uh, again, the, the question and challenge is the Achilles heel of uh, all these, uh, so far starting from a Stan, uh, Adam Smith and all these, uh, uh, given that, you know, priority uh, cleared, then the, the, there's also, you know, taxation, you know, fairness, equality, all these questions, right? So now, again, uh, fortunately or unfortunately that I have a, a, a more exposure to te technology and science, I do think that we shall, in, to go uh, uh, into the future, we shall make more use of the, uh, if there is something called morality from the science community that uh, uh, is a more, uh, it's, it's not saying, you know, it's, uh, we become monks or something, but uh, uh, scientists also need to eat, right? So they uh, somehow, there's a benefit, there's this type of a, co-living or, or, or uh, symbiosis type of uh, uh, it's like going into the space right so uh, who, who can who can lay claims of the you know the, the vast uh, it's, it's a frontier right if we see that as the challenge then I think that's, that's also very interesting it's very interesting space uh, 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 whether market forces should apply to space Robert Heinlein wrote a lot a lot about this uh the man who sold the moon or the or the man who sold the earth 
You know, uh, he, he had tycoons who wanted to colonize the moon in the 50s. Maybe we're, this is top worthy uh, 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 circle of rooms of discussion. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, thank you, everybody. Uh, Katerina, to you. I mean, uh, shall we? Uh, 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 it's it's up to you know. It's already uh, two hours. I think it's. Uh, uh, what do you, what's your plan? Katarina, are you there? Uh, yeah, yeah, what, uh, you know, the majority decides. Uh, it's uh, fine with me. Hi, Mark. Uh, we did a room together, I think, uh, before. <laughs> Hi, Katarina. I think we did. I don't remember what it was about. Do you? It was also AI-related, but I forgot exactly what it was about. Right. Oh, <laughs> There's, there's so much in AI now. It was about the book, the sci-fi book that I love so much, Quality Land. Oh, Quality Land, right. Yeah. I remember Quality Land. That was great. I, I bought Quality Land and read it and enjoyed it. Yeah, it was about that. And then you also came and, you know, I think, yeah, we talked about sci-fi topics and it was about the Quality Land, I think. Right. Thanks for reminding me about that book. Yeah, it's an amazing book. And the second, I'm not sure if the second is out in English yet, but it is out in German and it's even better than the first one. There's a I, second, there's a sequel? Yes, there is Quality Land 2.0. Quality Land 2.0, but you're not sure if it's in English yet. Yeah, I read it in German. And uh, I'm not sure if it's out yet in English. I would like to see how things have developed. It's so good. Can you give me a hint about what happens? Yeah, I think it's... No, no, they, I don't think... So, yeah, so what happens is there was, um, you know, um, a world war you know, John of us, he, he was killed and um, the, um, there, there was a World War Three that broke out and it lasted only eight hours and um, on the other, on the opponent's side, like millions of people died on quality land side only. One person died and nobody knew exactly why um, people died. And it was triggered by a trigger that got triggered by a trigger. I think in the end, if I remember right, it was a cow or so that trespassed. Um, because everything was automized. And um, yeah, and actually, I don't want to give too much away because <laughs> then some puns and some, some mysteries of the book are not that great anymore. Um, there's this mystery if John of us basically hid in the internet to come back, to make a big comeback. There's this mystery going on, the mystery of solving what was the World, uh, World War Three about and about the president and like very funny outcomes were, you know, the tragedy of World War Three happened and what was the, uh, the change that the president did. 
so on quality land side one person died and he was basically a programmer that was controlling um whatever was supposed to control whatever was going on and he um tripped over his shoelaces and broke his neck and died and the outcome was that they made shoelaces illegal all right i get it yes <laughs> that's pretty funny yeah and jokes like that were going on all the time then the different robots they you know you still had the drone that was afraid of afraid of flying and the the military robot that you know was um very lovely but then you know he helped um overcome like um a random killer that just killed for fun and wanted to have the highest score in killing people in the real world and not just online here there was one of those guys um and yeah it's a it's a great plot and and very funny and the ideas he come up with for um you know he has in between commercials uh in the book um where um, companies you know say why that you should use their ai and their product and this, those ideas are amazing and i see those ideas coming true in the next few years uh, right so. well it sounds like it's a good way to learn about the next two to three years yeah it is i mean the first version so much came true because of COVID and the shutdown and the usage you know of technology um right the, yeah and we're we're going to be i'm i'm hoping that all of this technology will finally lift everyone up if we allow it to create abundance for everyone everyone can now have access to the best ai through their devices and everyone has a device now at least in the developed world and many people in the less developed world have smartphones now so it ought to be possible to make uh, all of the capabilities that uh, 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 rich people experience uh, be given to the non-rich as well yeah smart homes were like he he became a certified um psychologist for um robots and ais um and one in one house there was this crisis between the the appliances the kitchen appliances right they were competing or there there was drama so the right. and the oven had a relationship before because they are also all in, interconnected in the intranet of the house so and um but the oven was sick of the fridge because the fridge was talking constantly too much and being too like um didn't give the oven the freedom and then we tried to talk them through but it didn't really work and the whole kitchen was affected by it and not working anymore and then that's the only, very funny <laughs> and then the only solution was to move the fridge because everything else couldn't be really moved and take it off the 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 network and so you know they wouldn't argue anymore and then the fridge didn't want to be lonely so um they they promised to get along and uh, oh, all right so they did group therapy for the appliances yes, exactly
It's a it's an amazing book. It's so good. And then I'll... all right. Well, I'll I'll look for it uh, immediately and see if I can get it. And then the social score of the guy that uh, that did the um, the attack on John of us, uh, they constantly dropped because all the AIs and robots uh, were mad at him because one of them would have finally become the president of a country. Uh, so they mm, plotted against him that he, his social score would constantly drop and then he would lose all these privileges. He wasn't, for example, allowed to live his, in his own building anymore because that building you had to have at least a social score of, I don't know, 60 or something. I forgot what it was. So he had to um, move out immediately. You know, he couldn't access uh, parts of the city anymore. That he was used to go to and all kinds of things happened um well, it, it sounds like the technology there isn't biased though it just has arbitrary rules yeah it's based on money and influence and what job right money and influence there we go yeah. that's it comes back to money and influence and then also sounds the, a bit like modern china yeah and then also the fake jobs that uh you know, then there was a new election um, campaign going on and one of them wanted to address that all the jobs were invented just to keep people busy and why we would need to do that. And just stupid and people actually would, you know, know that they are just doing busy work to like keep the social structure up but it was really useless that people you know then rich people would have the luxury of having an actual person sitting to pretend that they have a chauffeur but nobody needs a chauffeur or a person doctor or something anymore it was just invented uh, jobs going on and everyone was bored to death and you know things like that were also addressed which was really interesting sounds like a Kurt Vonnegut novel Hello? It's it says here Quality Land 2.0 Kiki's Geminis. Does that mean something in German? Geheimnis. Yeah, her um, her uh, secret. And but if I tell you too much about that, it will you know the book won't be as fun anymore. Right. No, you've told me enough. Yeah. Uh, 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 uh this 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 looks like it uh, it's in this looks like it's in german though yeah exactly i don't think it's out in english yet the writer he's german he's actually from the same town i grew up in in germany bochum uh he's a uh, yeah his books are very um you know he writes funny books but he addresses like social and political um problems but in a very funny way so right it says here new south quality land which means a new a new version of quality land yeah mm -hmm. so i could i could learn german that would solve the problem that would be good yeah i also didn't read the books in english i'm not sure how good yeah, but most jokes, like most puns, are not really language related. It's more like the technology um, 
Yeah, more technology related than right, right. With more technology, there's there's a universal technology uh, uh, language that everybody knows and and that everyone can understand when you make fun of it. Hey Ben, did you want to hey. say something? Hey, yeah, no, I actually, I I really took a really quick look at, at the uh, device dot com uh, article. I didn't obviously read the whole thing, but I'm actually curious because it. I thought um, I, I have a question for you, but let me just uh, set the context of the question. We've been discussing AI and its role in terms of in certain activities, whether AI could command some status or respect, if you will. For example, you know, the things that I, in my field, uh, in terms of intellectual property, that has been questioned on whether AI could be an inventor on a patent application. And various different jurisdictions have, you know, grappled with the issue uh, in Europe, in the US. Um, and there are different conclusions. Actually, there are courts that have said, yeah, why not? But uh, US courts have said, no, I'm, unfortunately, no. You know, we, we really need a human to be an inventor. I think that discussion uh, has an assumption that uh, sort of co the concept of consciousness, you know, humans are capable of having a conscious, uh, you know, although some may not, but that's a different matter. Um, and animals, certainly there, there are discussions that there could be, but a machine, usually it's assumed that it is not a, uh, you know, conscious being by definition. So, and that's one of the major assumptions uh, in terms of the uh, foundation to to support the conclusion that no, we don't want AI to be an inventor because you know it's not it's not human basically. So, with this article, it see it seems to be saying that AI could actually influence humans, or rather, humans could learn something from AI. And, and this is where my question is. So, presumably, it means more than just you know humans are utilizing AI to do pattern recognition, uh, diagnostic, you know, recognizing sound or something. Obviously, we've been doing that for many, many years, right? We've used electric uh, electron microscope microscopy. We've used any lot of different machines uh, to to you know make our decisions. Uh, so we are learning from AI. Now, this article seems to be saying more than that, right? Is is it saying that there's some sort of amorphous, uh, subtle? influence the AI could exert on humans and humans could learn from AI more than just the type of linear um, uh, conclusions that we are expecting the, the AI, the robotics to, could give us, but rather it's something more subtle than that, right? Is that what, uh, what this article is trying to say? I think it's the same process of, for example, learning from AlphaGo Go moves and as uh, the same machine learning technologies reveal business moves or social moves or cultural moves that people hadn't, that humans hadn't thought of, people can learn from the experience of the AIs that have successfully uh, followed strategies that they've developed based on their capabilities it's an interesting question because okay let's say rather than alpha go or 
or something else, we, we specifically set out um, or, or say, you know, some nefarious me specifically set out to design an AI and look, okay, I'll leverage GP3, GPT-3, and, but I want to teach it how to fill out patent applications all the way through, through the drawings, through the claims, and, um, and I'll submit it to Ben's office. Um, would that go through and would you prosecute it, Ben? Analytic. Well, yeah, that's actually, okay. Uh, I'll get to what Mark mentioned before, but uh, Serena, I think that's actually, I think, a relatively uh, straightforward process. You know, it's almost like the monkey typing typewriter. I can come up with some sort of a, you know, Chaucer or something, you know, that theory, uh, or someone, you know, monkey taking a picture. So there's a lot of brute, brute force assumptions that we make as humans uh, in the in this human society. As in, you know, you can certainly use AI to come up with various different algorithms. Uh, or different approaches, different processes, but eventually we will still, you know, require the human person that actually created the AI to be the inventor. So the, I mean, certainly the AI could, uh, in this case, do something more than the human inventor or the human master, the creator of the AI was able to ex uh, anticipate, you know, like based on the the, the 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 training set, then the conclusion the AI. Uh, can reach would be, oh gosh, these people would have a mic marker for a, a diagnostic of a particular cancer. And that's not something that the human actually anticipated, right? But still, there's a human sitting or standing behind the AI to pull the trigger of letting the AI do these type of training processes. And then, you know, having a data set that they can infer, infer uh, a, a particular result. So uh, even the AI would have been able to fill out you call it fail out. It's actually more than the fail out process. And AI would have, you know, created the, the no, no, no. I, 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 look, I, I, I want to, yeah. um, you know, put the example above. I mean, I have several patents myself. I'm familiar with the process, but the um, the actual non-trivial invention um, with intent um, and having a, uh, you know, so for whatever your construction is about, well, no, it's not human. Uh, let's, you know, for this thought experiment, let's advance the AI to, you know, to that next level where it's it, it's putting forth a, um, a a cogent invention that justifies that, no, Serena didn't actually create this, it did. Right. Well, well I I'll, think I'll... that's an ongoing debate, and I think the last time it was adjudicated, it was decided that humans have to be in the loop. Uh, I, I've been working with uh, Dolly 2 lately, and if you go to the GPT-3 Society page, you'll see the latest result and the artwork that it created based on a concept that I designed on a prompt that I wrote uh, uh, was original and creative and uh, uh, expressive of, of my concept and was unique and original. Uh, who gets the uh, IP? Right, so uh, as I said, um, currently the standard for patenting in the US and really in most jurisdictions is that it's gotta be novel, it's gotta be inventive and it's gotta be useful. So for those three things, 
um, I think presumably, and it's very fact dependent. Uh, obviously, I would be interested in learning in, in 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 seeing a particular fact pattern, like an AI literally has done something, whether it's you know the alpha folding, alpha fold type of thing, or there's actually literally a, a question that, that the AI was able to resolve. Uh, you know, looking at the prior art, and then the AI somehow decided, oh wow, if I created this these steps. Uh, or these, this particular machine, it's going to overcome, you know, the, the unmet need, meet the unmet need. Sure. So with that fact pattern, certainly I could imagine, I could imagine that it would meet the description, the invention disclosure, the AI submitted, uh, uh, would potentially meet the novelty inventive step as well as the utility, right? However, having said that, the statutes in the U.S. at least, uh, there's still an assumption that it needs to be human. Okay, I, I, I can't, I'm not going to quote you the actual paragraphs, but that's basically my understanding of how the courts have come to the conclusion uh, is that, you know, it's a, it's, there's no such thing as AI being a person. And this is why I raised this question in this room, because, you know, now we're discussing AI is more than just algorithm, right? It can actually create culture. And this goes back to what the mark you're saying that you know humans are learning from the AlphaGo moves and all that. See that to me is still and uh, sort of easy or, or or sensible to anticipate based on what humans have done with machines for many many uh, you know, dozens decades or maybe even hundreds of years. As in you know AlphaGo was able to come up with these moves that no human players would actually utilize based on the humans databases of masters teaching students, right? So that is not to me uh, earth shattering, if you will, using a very loose term, that, that uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the AlphaGo could actually come up with something that is just so uh, bizarre that it would be so counterintuitive for humans to try, it, and yet it worked based on AlphaGo's various different, you know, uh, playing chess, ch chess with humans. Um, what I'm much more, what I'm more interested in learning is whether there's more, the AI could do more to the point where it touches upon near, uh, you know, exemplary moves in chess uh, playing or a protein folding or something, but it touches upon conscious, like it goes to a, a, a place where we've, we've always thought that only humans are capable of. You know, well, again, that's what the debate you know, is. What, what is it that humans are? Norbert Wiener wrote a book called The Human Use of Human Beings in the 40s or 50s, I think. Uh, the question of what um, machines can't do is what the technological evolution is about. And they're doing more and more of the things that we thought only humans could do. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the the couple of years ago there was a scare where, you know, it's kind of sci-fi, but maybe it, it could have happened in real life, which is that some uh, rob robots or with AI, they could uh, 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 work with each other using a language that the software programs created, and then they would come up with a language that they themselves understand amongst themselves, but not necessarily the humans. That happened, okay. and they shut them off. They right? Did that. So that's not a, that's not a that's not a joke, or rather, it's not just sci-fi. So, I mean, again, you know, not getting into the weeds, but maybe it's not as scary as it's, as as the media made it sound like. But you know, uh, the, the the problem is that if AI has been developed to a point where 
you know, maybe that the language, the, the language, I think that the thing that happened, maybe it was just a mistake. There's some parameters that programmers, FD, software developers forgot to add it in there or something to, to, you know, it was almost like a lack of a parameter of certain safety control for, for, you know, these whatever weapons or something, maybe it's simple as that, but I'm just thinking, what if it goes beyond that? It goes beyond where, you know, if we're going towards the web three world, uh, more and more things are going to be happening online. Then may, maybe like like I'm trading houses on a, on the meta, metaverse, uh, and I'm using fake money. Digital, excuse me, sorry, digital money. And I have an avatar. It's me, and I may have a, a wife or kids with app. You know all that process. What if AI is able to do a lot more than what it has been in terms of the feelings, even conscious? or even whatever you describe as feelings, maybe there's manifestation of feelings. That's gonna be very icky, very tricky. That that would make it much harder for humans to go, eh, it's a machine, who the hell cares, right? Well, but if it's, you know, if it's so closely analogous to what humans experience or humans conscious would actually manifest, it'll be harder to consider that as just a machine. And I'll just add one last thing before I land the plane. Think of how pets have become so important in human lives. And think of some of the uh, con social construct, even legal definitions of pets as being part of the family member, you know, all the way starting from getting airline ticket uh, for getting a seat by paying. I remember Jerry Lewis paid um, uh, with cash a seat for his dog. And that was like, oh my God, you know, that's an like earth shattering at that time. Well, nowadays, you know, in terms of rescue, in terms of even insurance, in terms of inheritance, trust fund, all that, you know, pets are playing a role in that whole process now. If you, if you so you're saying they have stand, they have standing as persons. That what well, that's I'm, I didn't say it because I don't want to. It's very icky to say that, but I'm talking about AI now. I'm using pets as a uh, uh, intermediate step, like a launching point. I'm I'm trying the, to the question is whether the question is whether the 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 uh, AIs will be our pets or will be their pets. You know that's a very succinct way of saying this. It's very messy. I mean, it's just it's so messy. Um, yeah, but it's very I mean, it's very interesting, and, and uh, I, I'm I'm glad we're able to have a discussion about it at some sort of high conceptual level. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually a horrible thing to think, actually. Not horrible, but I mean, this is the, you know, I'm, a, I'm a nerd at heart, but this is a very nerdy question. But, you know, it, it, it may not be that uh, abstract or, or a nerdy if it touches upon human lives or human societies. You know, it's, um, I mean, I'm going all over the place, but, you know, the, the recent, the Texas uh, shooting strategy, tragedy it got me thinking from a different angle an uh, angle which was that i thought the world's moving more and more online and uh you know looking at the the, the shooters experiences with the reports many teenagers are moving their lives online a lot more than generations before 20 40 years ago you know there's a lot more computer play gaming versus soccer you know dancing um, you know, or growing, growing vegetables, whatever, you know, horseback riding, all that thing. So that gets me to think that, you know, if we, not number one, if it's inevitable that we're going to go to a metaverse world, 
I'm saying if it were inevitable, inevitable, then we really need to start thinking now, not wait until everything has gone there. Then we go, hmm, how we should, should we deal with these problems, right? If not, if, if we're not going to go to the metaverse right away or in the near future, then we should also start thinking about what, how, how much emphasis we want to give to offline world, world where there are literal human interactions, uh, social behaviors, and social learnings, particularly amongst young, youngsters, teenagers, you know, by not cutting them off from that process, thinking that they'll be happy with television, now internet, with games. You know, so these are these are things that I think it's worth pondering over with. It's it's a big experiment that's worth pondering over, and it's going to be uh, a complex mix of all these factors. Yeah. So what I think is interesting about that, I think, of um, when we create something like a new social structure, somehow new culture type. I think. Along human history, it starts quite brutal, and then we become more and more able to to um, have more granular emotional experiences around it, and then usually it evolves towards a more peaceful, calmer, collaborative um, structure. Uh, because just being brutal and um, sociopaths basically is not is not how you become over time successful and competitive in any social structure. Like over time, collaboration wins. Um, you know, you have just more people that you can influence. Right. That, that's why the EU seems to me to work better than the United States because people collaborate and. More and compete less. Yeah, it's probably also, you know, older countries participating, so they, right. it's longer experience and evolution right. they went through. And I feel like you see it with when newer religions come up, new like social structures. Now the internet with all these online uh, social structures, it's quite wild west right now, right? People are. Um, harass each other they are racist and you know again like quite um, bad with women it, they, i read an article today how they found out how he was behaving online especially towards other girls um his age and younger that he sent them like death threats and but the girl said, yeah, but this was nothing out of the ordinary. I mean, this happens to you as a girl and online all the time. So he was not like out of the ordinary. How would you distinguish this guy will actually go ahead and kill people and other people don't? And right. I well, maybe maybe AI could tell us. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, I would agree. And also i but i think over time the structure will go more into a collaborate more um more intelligent basically social structure if you want to become successful with have a lot of lot of followers and you get only so many by being very brutal and, and racist and whatnot you can reach way more people across the world 
if you're more inclusive and collaborative and so yeah, on. So yes, that's very important and it's true. It's just the fitter, the fitter, like people or you just win more by and but for this to develop this basically this pressure to being that way you just need a larger population being involved and i think that's starting to grow and that's why we we pay more attention on what's going on you know like 10 years ago or so it was probably even way worse but not many people were participating in those worlds so nobody really cared and now there's this pressure coming up because a larger population uh, is starting to participate. So I think it will evolve over time and rules will evolve and so on. It's just very interesting that in the beginning, it's kind of a more, arc, you know, if you go into the, I don't know, if anyone went into a criminology history museum, there's one in Vienna, Austria, and it's, I mean, humans were brutal. Like the tiniest things people did, like steal a bread, they would do the most horrific things, even to kids, because kids didn't really exist back then. Like the the, the idea of youth didn't exist because, you know, as soon as they could walk, they would start working uh, and make money. So, um, yeah, think of a late man. Stealing bread was, is not minor. I mean, it's crazy. Like, I think it's interesting in terms of, you know, we, we talk to all sorts of scientists and we're always talking about how life is self-organizing. So I think it's really interesting how you brought up that there's basically a diminishing return point on the brutality and you can eventually, you do get more out of collaboration rather than destruction. I think life itself was born out of the collaboration of molecules that were otherwise competing with each other and and more cellular organ multicellular organisms were created by cells individual cells collaborating to form a higher uh, entity a, a higher entity yeah, and that interesting thing is during development, like human development, small kids and babies are, you know, we are all tiny racists. I mean, we are horrible. Like, um, kid, small kids and babies, they distinguish very well who is out of the ordinary. They are very good at it. They distinguish, is your behavior a little bit different from others? You look different. You... You kind of, you know, they are very good at that. And um, they're, the human instinct in little kids is to exclude those. And it's probably some archaic protective mechanism to recognize different diseases that could be infectious and uh, to like quarantine them, basically. And it's a very, you know, archaic instinct that... Um, over development and with social learning gets lower and lower in the right environment, right? But um, if people grow up in the wrong environment and this gets basically enforced and enforced. So we have our intrinsic push and pull going on that versus distinguishing 
who's different and having the social learned, environmental learned way of being inclusive. We, we have that in us, all of us. Um, and I think it's just very important to just know if one just knows it um, and this inclusiveness becomes more and more important, the bigger basically your culture, like the more inclusive your culture is. Um, let's say United States where there are a lot of, lot of people from different, you know, immigration backgrounds, uh, if it's like the recent generation, current or 10 or five generations away, but it makes more sense to have this inclusive trait versus maybe, you know, the, it, it varies a lot in different environments. And um, this then also reflects in the behavior um, when you grew up in different environments, of course, but we are always able to learn. But it's it's good to be aware of that. Um, of that, basically, I don't know if you can claim it yin and yang enough. But uh, if something would be yin and yang, I would be pointing it towards the being inclusive versus you know detecting with an outlier and excluding them. It's possible that over hundreds of years, if if uh, uh, humanity organizes itself in a peaceful and non-brutal way, that over hundreds of years or thousands of years or over tens or months, if we did it through genetic engineering, it may be possible that uh, altruism and inclusiveness uh will be uh embedded in our genes yeah yeah i totally agree um yeah right well let's do let's it let's use the let's use the the monthly uh metric and get it done as soon as possible Oh, yeah, I would solve so many issues, right? If we would address that. We, we would have new, we'd have new humans who would be kind and generous and intelligent and inclusive and cooperative. And so we'll see what would evolve out of that. And well, that's, also quite, that's quite optimistic of you. You would expect the humans to be more kind and generous. I would expect we'll have AI that could be more like that. Well, I'm hoping I'm hoping we can transcend AI and use it as a stepping stone and a tool. Maybe maybe humans are brutal but innately collaborative due to the nature of our own biology. Like our organ systems don't necessarily compete with each other, cells self-organize within ourselves, and then you can even see that out into the cosmos. Maybe that's the answer. Right, an or, or, or organic unity of some sort. Well, our memories compete with each other. So, and then, but also collaborate. I think we are built like in this bipolar way, kind of. <laughs> well, there's a dialectic between cooperation and competition. What, what? 
But, Empathy would for sure help us try to solve more problems more efficiently. It, I think in general, it would be very beneficial because we could, you know, if we would have enough empathy with people already being, for example, affected by climate change, um, how they are suffering from heat and so on, um, not having enough food because of droughts and so on, we could, we would probably try to address it more efficiently and faster. Right, so, more empathy. I, I should think about whether empathy, how much of empathy is genetic and how much is socially acquired. Hi, uh, Wondery, how are you today? Did you want to contribute, say something? Yeah. I'm new. I want to know what's going on. Oh, we're talking Hello. about AI and empathy and good and bad traits of humanity and AIs and and how they are influencing us uh, in good and bad ways, basically. I'm sorry, I couldn't understand really anything. It was too much background noise, but um, yeah, uh, we were also almost closing the room because most of our moderators left by now. <laughs> um, seems seems yeah. like it might be a decent time to wrap, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but thank you, Mark, for coming. It was nice seeing you again. I always like the discussions we have. Right. Well, uh, let me know the next time you're having one. Oh, I see that John just arrived. I don't know, John, if you wanted to share something before we close the room. How are you today? I'm good. How are you, Katerina? Good, good. Thank you. Um, I just saw the title and saw that you and Dennis and others were in the room and just joined. So I don't have any context, but from the title of Inventing Its Own Culture, um, I think there's no question that, you know, the old saying, art imitates life that imitates art. It's going to be AI imitating life that imitates AI. It's, it's, it's just essentially a new form of cultural art that is going to reverberate um, into the human sphere just the way social media has. I mean, if you look at how many new memes have been created about social media, friending and unfriending, and I mean, just a, it's a huge list of constructs, um, ghosting, uh, that, that, that have more and more representations in the human ecosystem outside of the machine that and yet they're created by humans and so it's going to be a virtuous cycle by people who are looking to bend the arc of the universe in the right direction and it's going to be a 
very damaging cycle, as we've already seen with Cambridge Analytica and, and others, how those things propagate through when, when one nation state finds that another nation state is doing something like Cambridge Analytica, it's going to propagate um, into, um, you know, human uh, interactions. So um, I do absolutely subscribe to the fact that it's embedding its own culture, but that culture will propagate whenever um, it can be manifested on the human side. And um, I, some things won't cross over, um, but uh, just like some human things won't cross over into AI. Um, that's been long debated, but I still believe it's true, um, mostly in the hierarchy of values and, and how to reconcile different uh, value hierarchies represented by different people in different cultures and different families. So I think there's some, I think that the, there's some things that will be locked in the human experience and some that are locked in the AI experience, but the uh, pathways for uh, reverberation across them, I don't think are very much different than art imitating life, imitating art. So it's just, I think it's a con continuation at a much more um, multiplexed, um, and in some cases intimate way because of the way that AI can operate on essentially an infinite data substrate. So I, I haven't read the article yet. I can't wait to see what uh, someone published about it. Um, but I subscribe fully uh, to the notion that, that it has occurred, it will evolve. And I coined the term diadarity to reflect the fact that I don't think singularity is an endpoint, that um, if the human species survives, we will always have a human in the loop when appropriate. Um, and I've helped create a taxonomy um, in healthcare for exactly that point about which use cases will require higher levels of explainability and which use cases you can let the machine go wild and autonomous. And so we have a paper coming out on that and related issues in a couple of months. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I'll just give you a few points that we were discussing that um, with the eyes taking more and more roles, basically, and and what humans used to do, that they will play a larger role in our lives, such as over time, pets gained more and more roles also in society. You can inherit now... Um, basically um, money to create a fund for your pets and for other pets you can buy plane tickets for them which was you know decades ago quite you know Ben mentioned that he was here earlier that was quite interesting what people basically thought as very eccentric what some rich a few rich people did and now it's very common to buy plane tickets and so on so they, they acquire more and more rights um, that were exclusive to humans now in our society. That was interesting. And he basically said that that most likely will also happen with AIs. And then he talked about, um, you know, the, the online uh, metaverse type of reality that's going on. And it's still relatively brutal. Um, quite biased and, and harassment of all sorts happen 
but then I mentioned that, you know, every time we invent some new social structure and culture, in many times in the beginning, it's relatively brutal. But then if more and more people participate, it becomes more inclusive because at some point collaboration just brings you more reward, more followers and so on all around the world than if you, you know, excludes most of other humanity. So the prediction is maybe just by regular evolutionary pressure to, to want to have more connections, more resources, you just become more inclusive and more, you know, a more version of what our analog reality is. And, and one of the implications of this is that we're pr failing pretty miserably as a species to manage the policy around this. I mean, it, it's hard to imagine we could doing, be doing much worse than we are. And so when Kara Swisher uh, two months ago, three months ago, did an interview about Mark Zuckerberg. And she said, she, you know, she just really likes the guy. She's known him since before his name was a name and that he's a nice Jewish kid from the Bronx in her words. And she, but her, her punchline was that she did not believe that Mark had any business running a company with a profound influence of Facebook and now moving into the metaverse. I hope to God that um, there are people with more life experience um, and more humility and compassion that step into brokering some of what will be um, just an extraordinarily wild ride as the metaverse um, becomes pervasive and as people begin to experience this reverberation between digital and physical culture. Um, and I, you know, uh, she's someone who's known him forever, who's deep in the throes of Silicon Valley. And you have to respect her opinion on that. And I don't see any reason to discount it. So the, the opportunities are there. But once again, every, the adoption of every new technology uh, can be put to good use or bad use. And information has never been innocent. So how it's shaped, filtered, and sorted, and communicated um, has profound influence. I mean, just look at how many Russians believe that they're denazifying Ukraine today um, because of control of information. And so, um, you know, having someone like Putin in charge of a large platform like Facebook would be um, a real threat to cultural cohesiveness and peace and prosperity and collaboration and all that good shit. So, forgive my French, but I think, I think. I, ironically, as the digital world becomes more dominant and influential, who we choose to support in the dietary on the human side of that dynamic is more important. I mean, we've kind of blown it so far. Um, and if we don't make some progress on the issue of having thoughtful, compassionate, um, forward-looking people who understand the hazards of where we're headed, um, if they're not in positions to um, manage down, you can't stop the bad behavior, that's impossible, but manage down the bad behavior and elevate the good behavior. If we don't have people in those roles, well-placed in industry, woe is me.
John, do you remember, um, could you maybe go a little bit more into the reasons why she said he was not the right person for that? If you remember, if not. You know, I, I'm sure you could find a transcript online. I would just Google Kara Swisher's comments about Mark Zuckerberg, and that'll probably be in your first three hits. Um, and you could probably get a transcript. And, and I, it was three months ago. I just heard it once in a stream. Um, and I would likely butcher it and misrepresent it and replays are on. <laughs> and I don't want to do that. Do you think letting Elon Musk be in charge of Twitter would be equivalent? Um, I don't think we know what Elon Musk is going to do with Twitter. I, I think that, you know, um, and I'm not a Musk expert and I'm not a Twitter expert, but I've been following um, the drama. And, you know, he enjoys drama because it gets eyeballs on glass and and um, it it really helps whatever brands he's associated with. Um, but, um, you know, the, the notion that everybody has to have a non-repudiatable identity is probably the most important thing for a safe web. And, and my view is that we're going to, in the metaverse, we're going to have uh, two families of metaverses, or maybe three, but one where um, you absolutely have to be a non-repudiatable identity to participate so that there are consequences that can be enforced for bad behavior. Another metaverse where uh, anonymity is the norm, uh, for uh, which is helpful for um, uh, sources um, to protect them from retaliation if they live in an oppressive environment, regime, workplace, or whatever. And then a hybrid where there's, there's a lot of both. Um, and how that sorts out economically and how the three are monetized and how big they grow, um, I, I, I think remains to be seen. Um, but I think that uh, the, the thing that he's proposing, you know, eliminating all the uh, anonymous bots, eliminating anonymous accounts, establishing um, non-repudiatable identity is essential to manage a civil a public square, um, and uh, in those circumstances, um, absent the bots, absent the amplification of really toxic messaging, um, I think it could be a healthier place. And you know whether uh, I, I I don't think he's going to be able. I mean, given that the purpose of non-repeatable identity is to understand who's putting out good stuff and who's putting out bad stuff. It's hard to imagine that if he takes it over, he wouldn't find the path to deplatform people. I, I like the idea of temporary deplatforming um, and give people a chance to understand that they're not welcome on a platform until they change the behavior. After a timeout, just like in hockey, let them back in. And if they do it again, then they're deplatformed for a very long period of time. And when they come back, they're watched like a hawk. So I think, you know, so, some of the hyperbole of, oh, he's going to let everybody back on, no matter how toxic they are, I don't think that's true. Um, I, I, I mean, you know, he open sourced all of his patents for um, EVs um, because, and he's given $100 million to the X Prize. Um, for um, climate change, and and so I, you know, I think he has a sense of social responsibility. I think there were a lot of people, most notably Jack Dorsey, who 
was really unhappy with the trajectory of Twitter. Um, and so, you know, we understand a small fraction because uh, because he releases he's you know he seems at times to be cavalier and clumsy but um you know he's had jack dorsey in his corner since the moment he started looking into acquiring it so i don't think he's shooting from the hip as much as it would potentially seem and then the other thing that tyler brought up uh, you know at the very very first twinkling of of um elon being interested was that when you have a platform like Twitter and you think about redeploying it for the use case of cryptocurrency exchange, um, it, it potentially could be a 10x in terms or more in terms of revenue if, if, that's, if that's something the market would sustain. So, you know, Tyler advocated that position many, many months ago, and it struck me at the time as being very interesting, whether it's executable or not is um, interesting, but note that it's not been in the public debate at all. Um, and if he wants to acquire Twitter cheap and comes after their misrepresentations to the SEC around the percent of bots on the platform, drive the price down so he can get it cheaper, clean it up, do what he wants to do for non-repudiatable identity in a different form of, of um, really disciplining people who, who act out, um, I think... You know, I, I think there's potential for him to do um, some really positive things in terms of the very topic we were just talking about in, in um, the crossover between human and machine and back and, and that whole cycle. Um, if there's um, some real thoughtful dialogue and transparency and, tra I mean, uh, Non-repudiatable identity is critical for transparency. I mean, it's just absolutely critical. And clearly that hasn't been enforced very well on Twitter. So um, I think there's potential for him to do some good things there. Yeah, I agree. I imagine always those bots on Twitter playing the same role as transposable elements actually in DNA. <laughs> you constantly try to suppress them. And when something stresses the system, they kind of try to gain more activity and take over the system by replicating themselves. And so, so, so maybe maybe you could think, maybe you could think of it as a PCR augmented transposon. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah, that's what they do. Yeah. When the cell is stressed and has to take care, focus on a problem, they like are are off the leash, and then they they replicate themselves the more and more and more they can to like take over basically <laughs> and then you get like i guess theorized then you get like als and stuff like that if you know they become too active so yeah it's yeah, interesting called, called cultural als uh, i mean you know if you just start you just start thinking through these and well and and you and i katarina have talked about how uh, classical machine learning has been biomimicry of the cellular organization of the cerebral uh, of the pyramidal uh, system in the cerebral cortex, and yet um, AGI probably is going to require much more of an anatomic solution that works in concert with distributed computing and um, synthesis and recursion um, in the different anatom anatomic areas that process specific um 
uh, quantum information. I mean, we now know that that uh, smell is a quantum sense uh, as opposed to it originally being considered a physical chemical sense. And so we've got hearing and and vision and smell and you know uh, touch that that all have uh, wave properties. And yet uh, the brain has um, elected over millions of years of evolution to specialize by sensory type and then do the integration in a, in a concert uh, subsequently. So in the same way, we're going to start seeing biomimicry of social structures and social organizations way beyond what we have today. And it's going to accelerate change. And, and the thing that worries me the most is that I think a lot of the polarization in the body politic now is a reaction to the global um, uh, the global the, the global reactivity to um, the diminution of nation state influence and hence the hierarchical values represented by that nation state and its populace um, and um, the uh, supply chain issues that have emerged uh, reflect sort of an abuse of those uh, uh, divergent um, value sets in, in in different cultures and I think, those are just trivial examples that's, that's caused, I believe, a huge amount of the polarity in the, in, in the body politic, in, not just in the U.S., but all over the globe, and a retreat from globalization, a retreat from, te uh, retreat from uh, technology, you know, anti-science, anti-technology, anti-globalization. And I think if you, uh, as we move into the metaverse and start seeing this reverberation um, in that diadarity, I, I think it's going to accelerate, and I think it's going to be more... Uh, disruptive and probably lead to more polarization unless we have more thoughtful philosopher kings in positions of authority to figure out how to elevate the good and, and minimize the bad. Another interesting thought, I mean, uh, Serena has had me thinking more and more about astrocytes and glia uh, because they, they are connected by gap junctions and they have been lately shown to probably play a bigger role in connecting different subcompartments of the brain because if you pass on information by gap junctions uh, through calcium oscillations it's just way faster so you could have this important interconnectivity to come up with a higher consciousness uh, basically uh, which is really interesting if you translate that now again to um, the digital world, the more it gets connected, it's connected with more and more players and faster connections. Maybe we'll get, you know, um, a faster network by using quantum networking and information transfer. The system itself, do you, don't you think that the system itself could independently become conscious? Because the biggest factor to achieve consciousness is high interconnectivity of the, of information. So, um, well, well, you're talking I'm about the network. I... You're talking about the network becoming self-aware. Yeah, and conscious, coming up with conscious thought and influence us. On the other hand, you know, basically. You know. What? Well, and... Yeah, and given how much debate there is still about what consciousness is and how it represents and how it's constructed empirically in biology is so controversial still. Um, I think in exactly the same way you and I, Katerina, thought about 
machine learning and advanced machine learning of various types, um, increasingly being biomimetic. But um, I started giving talks 10 years ago on the difference between thinking in carbon and thinking in silicon and how just like an artist can do things with charcoal that they can't do with oil, that they can't do with watercolor. And with watercolor, you can do things that you can't do with oil and charcoal and on and on and on. That The medium is the message in a bigger way than Marshall McLuhan ever imagined. And I think in the digital world, the medium is the message um, is going uh, to be increasingly complex um, for uh, humans to manage. And so, again, uh, I mean, that's why I believe it's really imperative. We, we think in terms of the dietary, not that we can achieve the most efficient, productive, prolific optimizations through autonomous machine learning operating on large data sets that humans will not be able to um, explain or, uh, or command. I think, I think that's inevitable. Ray Kurzweil wrote about that 25 years ago. I, I still agree that that's inevitable, but it doesn't mean that all AI and all machine learning and all metaverses conform to a, a, an utter lack of explainability um, in every process, in every use case. And so um, having a thoughtful diadarity where um, uh, people um, who are trusted uh, to elevate the good and, and diminish the bad um, need to make some really difficult decisions. And then it raises the question of, you know, okay, who's king? Is it a nation state or is it a multinational? And, and I, I think that globalization is going to set the multinationals, uh, the, the anti-globalization uh, movement today is going to set the um, uh, international um, industry back vis-a-vis -vis nation states, which of course um, benefit from nationalism and, and retreat uh, from the global economy. But I think that's very temporary. I think in order to compete in the global economy, uh, it's going to require more and more of a return to both globalization and um, uh, broader collaboration, just like you said, with the glial cells in the brain, you know, collaboration and communication is a source of, of power in the information economy. So um, I, I, I fear that um, we won't be as proactive as we ought to be in recognizing the trade-offs between nation-state governance and multinational corporate governance in terms of how we manage these issues, because it requires both. I mean, you can't legislate morality. You can't legislate ethics. And so the policy is going to be more of a framework and a set of principles, um, and in extreme cases, sanctions for bad behavior. But it relies much more on who sits in Mark Zuckerberg's chair than it does on who is um, uh, majority leader and minority whip in the House or the Senate or their counterparts in other countries. I, I just I think we're lacking a more thoughtful conversation about where we're headed in the interplay between nation states um, and multinational corporations. And multinational corporations, of course, love that ambiguity and confusion because they can exploit it. Well, we were talking about the definition of consciousness before, uh, John, you came into the room uh, maybe half hour ago. Um, I think the, the, on, on the uh, um, sort of future of the world where whether AI could play a role and what role it's going to play uh, and then to define whether AI could influence you know, human culture and by extension, perhaps even 
conscious, having a consciousness recognized by the human world, I think that is a lot bigger question than just you know using AI, using algorithm to uh, facilitate human behaviors. The the problem we are having now, going back to what um, you know, I, I stepped away for a few minutes, but going back to what you guys are talking about in terms of globalization, anti-global globalization or not, I don't see. I, I see a conflict here where the world is presumably moving more onto metaverse or at least online format, and that has happened, you know, for for a few years at least. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we still live in the analog world, as in there are many things that we do are still analog based in terms of these sort of offline interactions uh, beyond just you know these sort of uh, supply chain issues that we've been discussing before. So if if one thought would be oh we can do this on our own screw the globalization list you know we forget the other countries i don't think that's gonna gel well with the way that uh, we're hoping to connect the world on an online format um however i could see a, a potential outcome where um without even thinking very very carefully thinking as in humans in terms of deciding What's important? What's what? What's important for us? How to prioritize our our lives? Then we will get to a, get into a, sta a state where, you know, we are in over our heads basically, um, uh, thinking we're going to go one way, metaverse or, or not, but still not being prepared of cutting off completely from this offline world, uh, where we still need a lot of things done offline, and that is not being a major, in, at least as far as far as I, I can tell, the politicians, the various different governments, I think they have really not realized that the writing's on the wall. You know, looking at uh, the Ukraine war, looking at uh, the, what's been happening in the past few uh, months uh, in terms of the disconnection, divisiveness with uh, all the legal decisions, legislature, you know, the, the courts, the, 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 the various different states. I think we are in really into a uh, sort of over our heads as human as humankind really. Uh, not to say not to be very facetious to say World War Three is going to happen, but you know if we don't talk about these, think about uh, what we need to do. Just let it let it happen the way it is now. Whether you're uh, on one side of the aisle or not, I, I think it's going to be much worse than what we're even facing now, which is already pretty bad. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I, you know, it, it really sort of harkens back to the wisdom of the framing uh, authors of the Constitution. Uh, they say framing fathers, but there were a lot of women in the background informing the framing fathers. Um, and so uh, the wisdom was that if you give all the power to the executive or all the power to the legislative or all the power to the judicial, you're screwed because inevitably every institution goes through phases of corruption and reform. It's just the nature of the cycle of human ecology and, and uh, sociopolitical um, inertias. And so if there's, if there's a counterpart to that in the new... Uh, multinational digital world, it would look something like um, individual countries working closely with the multinationals and defining what the rules of the road are within a country. And Modi's doing that uh, right now. Uh, 
you know, China's been trying to do that in a, in a much more uh, binary way um, than India is. The U.S. hasn't really stepped up to it in, in, in a uh, policy way. Um, but if, if you think of um, the, the nation states having a role by defining what is allowable with the multinational services and, and have a check and balance system there, then the remaining thing is where is the world court and the, the UN and the Hague are notoriously loath to take anything on unless they have very, 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 very broad support. And so the, the thing that would drive a more influential world court of some sort, uh, you know, analogous to Supreme Court would be a common threat. So if the vast majority of nations in the world recognized that bad actors and cyber terrorists were damaging the vast majority of people in the world, the vast number of nations in the world, and that motivated a more influential world court, um, then you might have that same similar structure to what the Constitution tried to set up with executive, legislative, and judicial branches. But I don't want to sound um, uh, Pollyannish because the the big issue there is will the crisis that drives the recognition for the need for a um, a well-supported world uh, judicial system that had teeth arrive before um, the bad actors win outright at the prisoner's dilemma and I think I think you know I, I, th I think the history of the species is a race between the prisoner's dilemma in a multinational scale um, and the arrival at uh, more collaboration well beyond anything the UN or The Hague has ever achieved. And that's that's pretty ambitious and Pollyannish. So um, I, 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 I'm not placing bets. I, I'd refer us to H.G. Wells, who said... Uh, History is a race between education and catastrophe. Yes, yeah, right. Great. I think if we look at history, I, my answer to John's proposal would be no. Uh, it is really you know not only a world court with uh, a decent command uh, recognition and, and of the of the majority of countries, but even looking at the U.S. itself, which is a great uh, constitutional system, we still have uh, a lot of divisiveness uh, nowadays. However. If we are going back to talk about the um, uh, the online world, uh, you know the dominant presence of social media companies, and probably by extension other types of potentially multinational companies. A case in point, semiconductor industry. You know, it is really not very possible to have uh, to have one or two countries literally dominate the 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 say the semiconductor because there are at least you know half a dozen countries that are involved. Whether it's Holland or you know semi semi uh, TSMC or US whatever, so both the online the and the offline world there are instances where it is conceivable a a uh, a system outside of nation states need to play some role. For example, um, you know if Facebook decides to ban someone. And then that means that's not just the U.S. case, right? It, it impl implicates many different countries, or other, you know, Twitter or whatever. So potentially there could be a uh, court-like uh, organization where these decisions would need to be ba made based on not just the laws of, of of U.S., Europe, or China, but rather it has to be something else. That something else 
would, would uh, potentially be akin to what you're proposing a sort of a world court where by default by by um, by default it's uh, a global reach because hey the social media platform is is globally right now yeah if I, if I that, could... yeah oh, go ahead go ahead no i was uh, let me let me just land quickly the the problem with that is and this is sort of a slightly nuance, you know, with the blockchain and the uh, the sort of the, the Bitcoin maximus, there is a, uh, a very strong uh, trend. People thinking, you know what, the nation states thing is not working, right? So why don't we just screw them? Just give them the middle finger. Let's just do everything offline. Excuse me, on the chain. Let's get a, get a, let's get get rid of all this banking, this government, this course screw it. We're just gonna do everything on blockchain so that you know we'll we have a different completely different system. We're not gonna have any inflation or any you know blah 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 politics blah blah. You know that is very nice a nice thought. Two things. One is that I don't think technologically we're there yet. Even if we were to do that, uh, screw the, the countries, the nations, all that. Number one. Number two, still to go from from having you know a, a blockchain concept, Bitcoin starting you know 12, 13 years ago to the point where it really could be an independent system, uh, giving the fingers to all these uh, legacy systems. We still have to do a transition. In other words, put it very simply, uh, for example. Regulation seems to be the third rail in, in some of the blockchain uh, Bitcoin community. But guess what? Nowadays, going from zero regulation to some regulation may not be detrimental to legitimate Bitcoin type of technology, but rather it could be an enhancement to that compared to all the shit they call shitcoin, if you will. So we have to think carefully when we decide to say, give you the middle finger, the legacy, you know, the nation states go F you, right? Before we do that, we still have to rely on the existing structure, social structure, legal structure, you know, a uh, technology structure, to develop ourselves to the point where there is a more li likely system where we could more efficiently run the human society, if you will, beyond what the nation states or what we have been doing for the past few hundred years. If we're going to look for a uh global judiciary body why don't we also consider a global legislature and a global executive and uh, follow the path of the eu in dissolving nation states gradually into higher unities until the whole planet is one i think we could mark but uh, i think the the problem is that um First of all, not now. Look at all the nation states. Look at all the the politicians, the decision makers, the military, the multinational companies. Uh, they're all all over the place, right? Uh, but I think the trend is that more and more interconnected we are going to become, and um, more and more things are going online. I think we will have a situation where by default, there's going to be a system de facto that we have to rely on each other before we make a final decision, whether it's a world court or or, or a, a decision or arbitration panel to decide who stays on Twitter or not. Uh, it'll be like that, except, you know, the, the problem that I see in terms of today, you know, May 20, whatever is, is that there are still nation states that are holding on to the old format 
um, you know, the power, uh, the world order, all that. And it's just so much easier, uh, Mark, you know, we're talking about AI, we're talking about this, but you know what, out of 330 million people, you know, how many people are like us with the kind of uh, preparation or interest in this, in this question, you know? So I think to get to, even if in theory, and I don't know if that's true, even if we are able to see the correct path, if you will, whether it's now or the next 10, 20 years, I, I think the conversion rate of uh, most humans in a nation or various different nations to get on board, that takes a long time. And I frankly don't know whether there's any good ways to enhance that process or speed up. Well, I'm working on one way to enhance the project and uh, enhance the process and accelerate the process by creating digital twins of cities that would uh, be built on uh, uh, partnerships between uh, public and private entities and would integrate the public and private in a new form of technology that uh, represented the real world, but uh, represented it in a digital way and all of the questions that we've been talking about could be resolved within the context of these digital twins that would have people with what uh, John was calling uh, uh, unrefutable identity or, or mixed all of the scenarios that he mentioned of anonymity and um, uh, unreputable uh, unreputable uh, uh, identity and a hybrid all of those would be possible in digital twins and, and could be decided on by the participants and different uh, different ones would be run differently. Yeah, I, I don't think I, I don't think there's any um, and apologies. I just want to make one last comment and, and then I've got to sign off. But um, great discussion. Um, the, the, the thing that I would say is that I'm feeling very Pollyannish just saying that we might even achieve a world court with any kind of teeth, given the experience of the UN and the Hague. Um, and to think about technology helping us solve that problem, because that problem stems from different narratives in different countries, different experiences that condition different hierarchies of values. I mean, the ancient philosophers talked about the competition between and conflicts between virtues. And so there's no technology that's going to be able to reconcile whether privacy or security is more important because different countries and different people within those countries and different members of the same family have different arrays in that hierarchy of how much more they value privacy over security or security over privacy. And so to think that we could use technology to arrive at the ultimate hierarchy of values, I think, um, is um, not supported by. We could use technology. I think we can use technology to set up a structure that will allow us to debate and decide by consensus uh, uh, processes. Well, that, that, whether that's privacy or security ought to be prioritized in various situations. Can yeah, I, but but I, then, then you have then you have members. Paul, let me just make one last point, Katarina, because because I got to I got to go. And I just I just want to point to Eric Weinstein and Danny Kahneman. So Eric Weinstein has called out brilliantly the epistemic disruption that we're in right now, and, and others, um, Daniel Schmachtenberger, uh, Forrest Landry, and others. Um, 
and how uh, the empirical scientific method is not something that everybody subscribes to. Many people outsource critical thinking to belief systems and leaders of those belief systems. And Danny Kahneman has said that no amount of information, whether from a human or from AI, is going to prevail um, against a belief system where the leader does not subscribe to what the AI proposes um, as a perfect solution. And so this epistemic disruption, which is gaining steam rather than dissipating between those who array facts to conform to their beliefs versus those that array their beliefs to conform to the facts, is sort of a, a perpetual um, uh, characteristic of the human condition. And it, it, it ebbs and flows in terms of which side is more dominant at any point in history. Um, but, but right now we're seeing a regression to belief systems over uh, empiric evidence um, that, that drives um, decision-making. So I don't think there's any technology that will ever be invented that will overcome that situation. Well, so I'm, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a techno utopianist. Uh, thanks. I'm done. I'm not either. Thank you. But one thing that uh, brings people on one level of consciousness on and belief is a very ancient tool and that is music and language. Um, and what is currently happening, and I don't think we see the enough extent, we see it in a very negative way, because as I think my theory is, or observations, what happens throughout history is that it starts with a very archaic, brutal, um, being suspicious about um, everything that's different, because it's how we start as babies, as evolution, like, and as a organism we start being very suspicious of everything that's different and babies and then we kind of get trained socially to be more inclusive and um, the thing is the same thing is happening in this world with a more bigger flow of uh, communication so what's happening is english is becoming more and more prevalent and uh, western culture songs and so on are becoming more and more prevalent like languages are dying off every you know month or you know just as many as species however what is also happening is that um we become more and more aligned as a whole bigger culture like a world culture we all we all know around the world the same movies like you can go to japan to germany anywhere in the world and name specific movies um, and most of the people will know them. And this also transmit some set of ethical values, ideals, and so on and so forth. And the more and more this will happen, and it will, because it's just very attractive, right? These type of um, memes, movies, um, songs. Uh, the more it will be ingrained in different cultures. And we start by using it right now on a large scale in a very bad way by, you know, going to this uh, foul statements and uh, fear mongering and so on and so forth. But I think while the system will evolve, it will become more um, a system that we we see in the analog world that is more empathetic and, and, and so on and so forth. But 
we are aligning the a world culture and a world language and the trend will just go more and more towards that direction there will be uh, around the world trends to um, kind of be more exclusive but we are seeing that having a general one set of like the most spoken language here on clubhouse is for sure english uh and um there are a few clubs that are the most um listened to and it's for sure mostly english and and using that culture that comes from the english culture basically from that spoken language will transmit values uh, and so on and ideals over time and they will trickle down which has good things and bad things a lot of cultures dying but it can creates basically a unif more uniform identity uh, globally which can be and will be also used in in good ways and bad ways but i think we will see more and more trends going towards a global identity the other thing is companies and especially tech companies have more money and more power than many governments and they're being damaged by these conflicts. Uh, they, 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 they have to kind of exclude, for example, Russia right now. It's damaging to them and they will be pissed off if this keeps happening. And they will have lobbyists and they will have ways to transform the ideology of people to be more inclusive and to not go ahead and have wars and stuff because they will make less money. Apple um, and so on, like all these companies will just have a pressure to inclusiveness around the world and they will transmit that pressure and that ideology to the users. Everyone wants an iPhone around the world. So if you want an iPhone, make your government not have wars. So we don't have to exclude your market from having an iPhone. So I think a few elements that are not altruistic, that are just, you know, just pure money making pressure and more gaining more power is guiding us towards a more world identity and, and world values also on privacy. If you buy an iPhone, you have, I'm not claiming it's true, but you have kind of a more defensive, maybe privacy ideology versus um, other um, devices. And whoever wins in that way will also win globally the ideology if you should have privacy or not. So I think like the market structures and this huge companies that are becoming more powerful then most governments um, will win and their ideology is just having a global economy and reach the most people they can, I guess. That's very that promising. A... It sounds like Florida and Disney against DeSantis. It sounds incredibly positive, Katarina. I never thought of the, um, the evolution of the structure of something like this in, in such a optimistic way um i'm hoping that the, the destructive um aspects that are hitting us right now aren't happening too destructively to allow time for this positive outcome that you're predicting i really 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 do because i like your future better than the one i'm thinking about <laughs> yeah i i um 
agree with Katrina in the sense that um, it's good that uh, good values, uh, good uh, cultural models are being uh, adopted by uh, more people. Uh, the problem is that uh, when we have uh, a homogeneous culture, um, you, you lose diversity. And then when uh, circumstances changes, um, the information on, from those cultures that um, didn't make it uh, through uh, globalization is not longer there. But um, I think actually we're also moving uh, in the right direction on that regard, uh, both in the globalization that because probably that's the, the precise term that is not longer in vogue, but uh, we are also with the new technology um, that we have at our hands, uh, we have more localism. So um, it's much, much easier to, to, to make a, a, a music recording, to, to write, to, 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 to produce any kind of culture uh, object um, and uh, distribute it. Uh, so while we have a, an elite that is becoming more and more global, uh, which for the most part is good, we also have more and more localism that is also good. So um, in general, in the long term, uh, I think we we are moving uh, in the right direction. <laughs> in two directions at the same time. We 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 have a more local um, contextual region regional culture, but we are also having a more integrated, uh, for the most part, elite, isn't it? Uh, because it's just the the way it plays out, um, which is also good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, like, to... like... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, no go ahead, Katrina. Yeah, for example, has um, has gave opportunities to artists from countries that didn't find easily funding for their series, especially smaller countries in Europe, in, including Spain. Spain had a pretty good uh, movie um, industry, but Portugal and other countries around the world and have that worldwide platform and also to have it all these different versions and different languages available like my kids watch sometimes movies and different when they know the movie in different languages so they will they are just curious how it sounds how it feels like to see the same movie in different languages and this was just not possible before so yeah i agree yeah another thing uh, regarding movies is how much the quality has improved from the periphery uh like um like 20 years ago, um, the quality difference between uh, American-made movies and uh, everywhere else was dismissed. I mean, was huge to the point that even when the theme uh, and some other stuff was good, and that those movies were hard to see because the, the technology was so so lacking. But now, um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, the technology is available everywhere. I, I mean, you can you can produce. Uh, Top quality illumination, processing, and everything visual um, with, with, with very, very, very cheap uh, equipment. So, yeah. Something to, that uh, Ben was saying a, a few minutes ago regarding crypto uh, and uh, trying to, to get over uh, the, the nation state. Uh, yeah, I will agree with that. And also, like, uh, add to, to that that. Um, the, the nation state is way too much powerful as today to to allow for for something like crypto to 
to to defy uh, and cut its power. Uh, I mean, if it's tolerating it, it's just because it can uh, turn it down uh, or take over it. But it was most likely, I think it's going to end up happening. Uh, the government is just going to take over the ledger for for all for anything that comes uh, problematic for for for, for the bank. And nobody's going to lose money for the most part. Uh, it's going to be uh, a painful transition. But uh, I mean, we we know the government has access to to what's happening in, in, in at least in Bitcoin. So if they really want to to pin down uh, somebody doing something there, they can. Um, so yeah, just just that. Yeah, um, I don't know. Does anyone um, have anything else? Thank you, Daniel. Uh, yeah, I I agree. It's um, we've been going on for a while <laughs> uh, since nine p.m. EST. Um, so uh, I think I will go ahead and close the room if that's okay with everyone, unless anyone has something to add that they didn't have the chance to go no, ahead so only say, thank you thank you oh. i appreciate that the room a lot thank you yeah thank you for coming it's always a pleasure to have you here and everyone else um and um oh yeah fong you you joined the stage did you want to make uh, any last comments thank you uh catalina um I have uh, been uh, listening to you guys, uh, Chant and uh, uh, Mark and you, and uh, I think we uh, enter into a, a period of um, what uh, people have been calling now uh, a co-evolutions. Uh, it's uh, a culture-driven uh, as well as genetic-driven uh, and technology-driven all kind of cohesively um, come together, uh, and I think we, uh, even the language here, uh, as you pointed out, uh, the movies, the technology that we share, um, even a device that we use for communications, uh, we share. So I think we're getting to that uh, uh, now that uh, this kind of melted together. I think uh, United States is kind of unique because we uh, make up of all the immigrants from different backgrounds. We have a quite diverse uh, genetic pool, but uh, now, um, the culture is actually driven. We've seen that here, uh, even in Clubhouse here. We see that people uh, tend to come together uh, in a safe place uh, in their own room and uh, um, what I call a belief uh, chamber. And, and uh, I think that driven uh, and adaptive response, that's what we are doing uh, as a whole world community. And uh, I think uh, this is good, actually, so that we can uh, we can come together when uh, risk involved uh, um, and we can uh, protect each other and uh, and uh, have the to have the same survival uh, um, uh, benefits uh, um, uh, environment that we can grow and uh, and and uh, and uh, innovate. Uh, thanks again for have the room and uh, um, have me uh, have the time for me to share. Thank you. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you know, there has been the Ukraine room. It's just one example how humanity is coming together on technology to help each other. The Ukraine room is going on now since the conflict started. And it's really interesting how technology has been used to help the the 
party basically you emphasize the most with um, from different parts of the world by um, using Airbnb, for example, to book rooms that people will never use to support locals uh, with money that way, um, using Bitcoin and using Clubhouse, these rooms to update people on news on the conflict. I think we got to know each other, especially on this app since we talk and not just write like on Twitter and other spaces. And we got to know people pretty well over the time Clubhouse was created um, uh, from different countries and cultures. And we came to know people and to know their struggles and also their ideas and their way of thinking in a way that wasn't possible before and this makes us see each other as humans and not just just some enemy and um, that's that's one of the positive um, effects i think for example clubhouse is having i think i mean of course there are rooms where people fight and and just trying to be very contradictive. But I think most rooms are not like that. Most rooms try that we are all respectful. And we come from very different backgrounds, um, education, languages, cultures. And most rooms are very quite peacefully and people respect each other and get to discuss together different topics. And uh, that makes also me being hopeful um it is possible for us and um yeah it's possible to help each other as humans and not caring about what the governments actually want but what we want to help our fellow humans or not so yeah it's making me feel hopeful uh in different ways and um yeah here on with this club, um, I'm trying to shed the light on the different personalities in the scientific community that are doing research. Because, you know, during COVID times, science communities were quite under attack in social media. And I, I got the feedback that people, when they listen to the first interviews that, for example, Jamie here does, um, what the motivation of the scientist was to do this work and to go into the field. And people came, um, made comments to me that it makes them feel hopeful for the future to get to know scientists and what their motivations are um, and what people are working on to solve our problems and, and yeah, how open they were to ask, answer all the questions so that those rooms make people feel hopeful that don't know much about the scientific world. So um, yeah, I that those instances give me hope. <laughs> and uh, it's a good way to to end the room with some hope <laughs> for humanity. Thank you very much for a great room, Katarina. Yep, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, everyone for coming. And thank uh, everyone for coming. Yeah you'll come back uh, that was a great discussion and um yeah have a great rest of your weekend 
and uh, our next room will be on Monday um, we'll talk uh, let me just to not say anything wrong because it's late and I'm tired out oh, and more a new mechanism for long-term memory storage was discovered it's from a pretty uh, big neuroscience lab and they found a really uh, interesting mechanism for long-term memory storage so yeah come back and thank you so much for coming enjoy your weekend and um enjoy life <laughs> bye everyone Thanks, Thanks everyone for coming. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.